This is Cody Turner. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because this is a marathon podcast. In this podcast, I speak with my friends RJ Silviero and Jacob Coverdale about everything and anything under the sun. It's really just almost three hours of aimless banter that goes in every single direction. So if you're into that, buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Welcome to Tent Talks on the Shelter from the Storm Podcast Network, a place to talk the rain away with your host, Cody Turner. Storm coming, Mr. Wayne. So I wanted to start by uh, presenting to Jacob the Experience Machine Thought Experiment. Okay. That I talked about. That's a really good fucking... I really like that. Yeah. And getting his reaction. All right. So let me set it up for you. All right. So... um, we're, so you're, imagine we're in the future, and there are hyper-realistic virtual reality machines that have been created. Virtual reality machines that are so fine-grained so as to be indistinguishable from the real world. It's kind of like a matrix machine where you can go in. Okay. And a neuroscientist gives you an option. He says, you can go into this machine for life and pre-program your ideal life and like live in the matrix. Or you can choose to not go in the machine and just live your life in the real world. And it's a zero-sum competition. Is that the right fucking phrase? I don't know. Um, So it's not like you can just go in the machine for like 100 years and be like, ooh, this is fun, and then plug out and resume your life. No, you're either choosing to go in and leaving your life behind or not. And there are a few caveats here. So one, when you go into the machine, if you choose to go into the machine, it's not as if... um, your memory that you're in the matrix gets wiped out. So okay. it's not like you go in, you're like, this is great. I know it's not real, but it's great. No, like your memory's completely wiped out, but that doesn't mean that you're not psychologically continuous with your past self. So it could be like, yeah, I want to go in. I choose to go in. And then you go in and then you just like wake up and what you think is your normal life. And all there are simulations of your friends and your family. And they seem just as real in the matrix as they are in the real world. Um, so it's not like you're, memories are completely wiped away and you're just starting from a blank slate like you can be psychologically continuous with your past self that's an important stipulation because some people think that if you break that psychological continuity with your past self then you're not the same person anymore from a personal identity standpoint um so well i guess let let me uh would you go in at this point would I go into the... Yeah, there are other stipulations now, that I can is. make. Okay, I'm just wondering. So you say my ideal life. So I would I would pop into the machine and I'd be like where I want to be or do I have to work towards it? It could be whatever you want. You can change it. Yeah, you can change it. I would probably go... At this point, I'd probably still go in. <laughs> you go in? Yeah, I think so. Because uh, You said it's it's identical to real life, so I'm still going to have all the same sensations yep. physically and emotionally as I would outside, but yep. instead it's ideal. Yes. I'd probably go in still. But let's hear the rest of the... Of the. Well, so just some other, like, counter objections that people will give in class is one is, like, well, just a life of nonstop ecstasy isn't necessarily a, the best life because... That's fair. I'm, you know, you can only really uh, enjoy the pleasure if you have that contrast of pain and suffering, you know? Yeah. You only enjoy leisure time if that's contrasted with you working hard. Right. And my response is you can program whatever minimal amount of suffering into the experience machine so as to optimize pleasure in your life. Then the other potential worries like which I hadn't even thought about prior to someone raising this the other day is well what about like my friends and family in the real world they're just gonna like think I died like where do I go right to which my response is it just so happens that I have a replicator machine where I can create a duplicate (laughs) of you and then send that duplicate off into the real world that's 
just exactly like you, your friends and family won't know the difference. And then you get to go into the experience machine. So um, they'll think that you're still around. So they'll be fine. Um, so yeah, those are just kind of some other background stipulations to make the idea of going to the machine more enticing. Okay. So you're in? I don't see why people wouldn't be. You're still, you still get, first of all, you, you don't even know you're in it anymore once you're in it. So I, basically it's yeah. your life now anyway. Yep. And also your family's already in there with you. Cause ideally you're, if you know, if you want your family to be there in your ideal life, they'd be there. And the simulation is as real as real life. So it's going to feel like your family and your friends are there. Mm-hmm. The only difference, literally from what it sounds like, the only difference is that it's ideal as opposed to living in the real world where there's risks and chances where it might not be ideal. So why wouldn't you go in, especially if you can replicate me and send me to my family and they're going to be fine. Yeah. Who's missing me? No one. The funny, the thing about this one too, is I feel like a lot of people say, no, I won't go in. That's a lot what of people ex- complain about how life sucks and how it's hard and how this, that, and this, and you just give, and you give them this option to go have this perfect life and they won't take it. I would take it. <laughs> well, I think so, I would. <laughs> so the thought experiment was originally formulated by this philosopher named Robert Nozick and the intuition that he wants you to have is to not go in. And he originally formulates it as an objection against philosophical hedonism, right? So philosophical hedonism is the idea that, you know, if we're talking about like, what's the best life, right. what's the life that gives you the most happiness, hedonists will say, look, the best life is the one that uh, maximizes pleasure and minimizes pain, right? That's what you should be doing in life. You should be trying to maximize as much pleasure as you can and minimize pain. And that doesn't just have to be like physical pleasure. It can be intellectual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and his point is like, look, if hedonism is true, then you should go into the experience machine because the, a life in the experience machine is by stipulation a life that maximizes pleasure, right? So hedonism dictates that, yeah, you should go in. So that's premise one. If hedonism okay. is true, you should go in. Premise two is, but you shouldn't go into the experience machine, therefore hedonism is false. And his intuition motivating premise two is that um, there are things that we value more than just pleasure and the absence of pain, namely cognitive contact with reality, truth, knowledge, and these are things that you wouldn't get in the experience machine because, you know, you're not interacting with your real family and friends. They're just simulations of your family and friends. So um, it, it would just like circle back to the Matrix. If you've seen the Matrix, right? It's like they, they think like Morpheus and the rest of the team, they think it's good to free people from the Matrix, right. even though the real world outside of the Matrix is a lot less appealing than living inside the Matrix. But they're like, like it's worth it because now you know the truth. Now you know the reality. So that's the intuition that he wants you to have. But for me, you know, I, I take the simulation hypothesis, the idea that we're living in simulation very seriously. And insofar as you think that's plausible, then you can question whether we actually have contact with reality or truth right now. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's it. that's a great point. No, I, I just like. You also, because if you're in the, if this, everything is ideal, then knowledge is also ideal is what you're getting at. Because I feel like that's tough because if I'm in the machine and I, and for me, an ideal world is where all the knowledge and truth is real as opposed to what I want it to be, then wouldn't it be the same? And like you said, this machine is, is it, it is exactly, it gives you the same feelings as reality does. So, and I don't know I'm in it anymore. So it's like you're already fooling me into thinking I'm in reality anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, right. At least I shouldn't want to go into the machine, but I don't even know I'm in the machine anymore once I'm in it. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's, what did you say? I mean, it's kind of the whole point of what you were saying before is that the idea that a simulation, we're already in one right now, is more likely than not. 
the probability is, and you were talking about that, Cody. But the whole point yeah. is that if you're in the machine, you don't know it. But the problem is you cognitively, cognitively have to make that decision now that you will be going into a fake world. Once you're in there, you don't know. But it's the same concept as a dream. Once you get into a dream, you have prior knowledge of your world inside the dream, and you don't know why you know that. But it's the same reason as to why. How do you know that your memories are real? It's because we were just born into them, or maybe you lived through them, but you don't know that. So once you get into the simulation, this ideal world, I would go into it right away. There's no question about it. Everything that I want, and that doesn't just mean monetary value. My ideal world consists of a family, everything, all of that. If I have that ideal world and I go into it, why wouldn't anybody choose that? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like the, the thought experiment, it's aging better as technology progresses because virtual reality is becoming more sophisticated. Right. And yet one potential like quasi-dystopian worry is, you know, we'll invent these virtual reality machines and everyone will just choose to hook into these in their basements mm. and we'll have this like problem of widespread social isolation. Right. There's kind of a... Have you seen the movie Ready Player One? Mm-hmm. No, but it's a yeah, it's I'm a sure <laughs> it's a Steven Spielberg movie, and it kind of explores this concept. Like the outside world is kind of like in shatters, and it's like very dystopian. But everyone's hooked into this virtual reality game, and they're obsessed with it. But the thing there is, um, they're they're able to interact with one another in a shared virtual reality world, right? So like, um, in this shared virtual reality world, I'm still interacting with real human minds, right? There's not just like simulations of my family, but it's real human minds that are embodied in the form of a digital avatar, you know? Um, so in that case, there's there's still social isolation in the real world, but um, there still is real social interaction in the virtual reality space. But you can imagine a different version of that where there is no shared virtual world, but everyone's in their own virtual world. I'm in my own virtual world. Someone else is in their own virtual world. And in that scenario, there's like true social isolation, right? Because it's not, I'm not even acti- interacting with like real human minds anymore. It's just I'm in my own game. Someone else is in their own game. Yeah. You know? That's interesting that you bring up the movie Ready Player One. And other people might think of that experience machine as a similarity to the Matrix. But I think of Inception when you talk about the experience machine, only because of how in line with it is to the dream world. So when you think about it, what you're talking about is going into a world where you already have an ideal situation, ideal world that you lived in. I think of lucid dreamers already doing that now. Because if you can lucid dream and control your own dreams, like I said, when you go into the dream world, you already have prior knowledge to the dream. You don't know why you know that, but you know the context. Lucid dreamers can do that. They can go into their own dream world and create whatever they want because they control their dreams. Is it really? I've always questioned, like, I've never had the experience of lucid dreaming, but how how much autonomy over your dream world do you really have? Like, uh, have you heard, for, have you done it before? Have you really? I, I haven't lucid dreamed. It, it doesn't, lucid dreaming doesn't only have to do with controlling your own dream. That's it like also, the most extreme version of lucid dreaming, right. I believe. Is mm. if you like, you dictate everything. So there's like a spectrum. Right, right, right. So it. you can lucid dream without having to be in control of the dream. But um, there's lucid dreams where it just feels, it's kind of like when you have a dream and it feels so real and you wake up and you almost don't know if you're in a real dream or not. You've lucid dreamed because it's, it's sensory perceptions in the dream were so alike to you being alive that you couldn't tell the difference. But I'm talking about the extreme, like you said, where people can go into their dreams and almost replicate it to how they perceive their senses in real life and also dictate whether they have a nice car, a nice family, whatever they want. 
So people can do that, but it takes practice. You have to like log your dreams. You have to practice and all that. Yeah. How do you do? You know how do you do it? You know that show that explained I was talking about. There's one one of the episodes is on dreams, and they actually like ten minutes of the episode is on lucid dreaming. You're supposed to keep it. You're supposed to keep a journal. Yeah. You wake Uh, up, whatever you remember, you write it down, and then there was another thing. You like. It's like when you go to sleep. There's like specific things you do right before you go to sleep too, like that that are intentional towards lucid dreaming. Like, were you telling me that the person who falls who would fall asleep with their arm up, or somebody else telling me about this? So there was this one. Oh, it was, all right, it was my friend. <laughs> no, so they were a lucid. He was a lucid. He had a friend who was a lucid dreamer, and he would dream log like that. He would write down all his dreams and everything when he woke up. But before he would go to sleep, he would try and fall asleep with his arm like raised above him, just like so. He's ver- you know he's horizontal and his arm is vertical. So when he would fall asleep, his arm would fall and hit the bed, and he'd make like in his dream, it made like a bang noise or a, a thunder noise and he would know and, so that, and it would tell him he's dreaming and that's how he would know he's in his dreams and then he'd go in lucid dream dude that's like hey, that's awesome that's like the totem from inception yes you're the exactly. thing that tells I you that you're dreaming just, just yeah. Telling <laughs> you. yep it's kind of cool yeah <clears throat> yeah we were talking about uh before the podcast just how um like i did some elementary research on dream science or whatever and like there's no consensus on why we dream mm-hmm. like there's like a bunch of different theories as to why we dream and there's no agreed upon reason. Right. It's weird. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing's true with sleep, too. It is. Is it? Yeah. Did we talk about this last time? We might have talked about this last time in the podcast. I don't know. We yeah. might have. It's, it's so it was one of those first conversations we had. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. There, in but I know that you don't have to... Sleep is perceived that we need to sleep to in order to recuperate. But we can sit still and recover from an, an illness. Or we have a broken bone, and we can just sit still and it'll recover the broken bone. Like, we don't have to go to sleep to yeah. fix our body. We right. can just sit still and program our body to fix ourselves. We don't have to go to sleep. But then again, if we don't sleep for like a week, we go clinically insane. So why is that? Yeah. It becomes like a form of torture right. at some point. It's kind of nuts. That's so weird. What else you want to hit? I know, you, I know, I know Jacob has a list. I, I did have a list from last time. I was about to say torture is insane too, though. Just the idea that people can do that kind of stuff to mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. Let me give you, before as you're looking at your list on the yeah. torture point, um, I was having this discussion with someone about the death penalty the other day. I don't know if you guys, I, I'm, there are certain issues where like, I'm completely open to having my mind changed. I'm just like, I have no fucking idea. And the death penalty is definitely one of those. And, uh, there's this weird argument that I was reading about someone who's, um, advocates a retributive conception of justice, which is like an, I've, maybe I we talked about, did we talk about this too? I've no had this conversation idea. before, but I don't know if it's with you guys. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I'm having like days. <laughs> yeah, I for an eye justice. Thing on the list. So, so uh, you know, what do you? How does that conception of justice dovetail with some just moral monster like Ted Bundy, who's killed and raped and tortured many different people? Like just killing him isn't an eye for an eye because he's killed like so many people. And so just ra- killing and him, raped and tortured yeah, people. So that's too. not an eye for an eye. Killing him isn't enough. So there's this one scholar. I think his name is like Pojman or something, who is arguing for torture. The ethical legitimacy of torture on that basis, if you're gonna go for the retributive conception of justice, which I don't, I don't agree with personally, but I just thought it was, I don't know, an, in- an interesting way to argue for that. That is really interesting. Yeah. I um, so this is like the reason I do like eye for eye is something that makes sense to me in terms of that kind of those kinds of things. Like if a murderer murders, why not? You know, what what's the wrong with with killing that person? But part of that <laughs> comes from the fact that my dad was a huge fan of the Wild West. Like, he's a huge cowboys and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And that whole, like, there was a time when you were out there, if you wronged somebody, they'd shoot you. Like, there was, like, this, like, a part of me thinks that my beliefs on those things are come from the fact that, like, 
my dad raised me talking about the Wild West all the time. So the eye for an eye thing makes sense to me mainly because of like my background. You know what I mean? So I don't. I also am a little more open to being having my mind changed about it. But that to me, like killing a murderer makes sense eye for an eye like that. You know. But then there's all kinds of like you said complications and extremes and. Yeah, I don't know. The death penalty, personally, like in, in terms of like our legal system, is tough. Like, what? Because then, isn't it isn't it more expensive to kill somebody on the, under the death penalty than it is to put them in jail for life? Or is it the other I, way around? Because it's like, because then you start talking about financials and tax dollars, and it's like, well, I'd rather have my money not go to support that person being in jail for his whole life. But if that's going to be cheaper than killing them, then I guess you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I don't know. There's all that stuff that's involved too at that point. And I know people on death row, you know. Like, well, they'll be on death row for, like, years, like, decades. Right, right. Which is just, like, dude, there was just an, another story related to this that I was reading about the other day. There's this dude on death row. Um, it was, like, there was a bo- uh, botched bank robbery in the 1990s, and he ended up killing someone. And he has some weird, like, uh, I forget what it was. It's, like, some spinal condition or whatever. But apparently the condition that he has makes it more likely that the stuff that they inject you with when they put you down on death row will actually cause him more pain or something like that. So he's requesting for a firing squad instead of being put down by the injection, by the injection, which is, I just thought was really weird, but it is one of those. It got me thinking though. Um, I didn't even know they could do that. You can request firing squads when you're on death row. I don't like, know if I you know can. I don't know, right. if they're, oh, okay. I don't know if they're going to abide by it, oh, but okay. I was, it got me thinking, I'm like, well, that's, you know, in his case, it might be less pain. Because I mean, if like if you really want someone to not suffer, just shoot them in the head. Right. But there's something so sensationalistic about the firing squad, as compared to like someone in a chair and just slowly injecting them, and it seems like they're going to sleep. Sleep, right? Yeah. But um, but just like from a pain standpoint, from what you're doing, the two situations are completely morally analogous. So it, it just goes to the fact that we're always drawn more towards sensationalism. You know, like when there's some, you know, just like to take it into the realm of like school shooting, like when there's some like huge sensationalistic event like that, we all go crazy, but we take on board however many thousands of deaths die from car accidents each year or however right. many or war. lone Death. gun deaths happen. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, or even a great example too would be recently um, Kobe passed away. Oh my God, dude. Right, but right, oh my God, he died in a hell, if he was sick or like he was, he had cancer, it would be like a slow, like, okay, it's going to, you know, he may pass away soon. That was sensational, right? A sensation of just, he was gone like that. And he was a huge figure, but you're right. Like people die, people die in crashes all the time, but it was different, you know? Dude, right. the crazy thing about that is literally that morning, before I found out, I had uh, just followed Kobe on Twitter. Really? Because like the night before LeBron had passed him on the scoring list. So I just like went down like a random Kobe rabbit hole on YouTube and watching interviews, I'm like, yo, Kobe's the man. I just followed him on Twitter. Literally two hours later, I was on a run. My friend's just like, yo, Kobe just died in a crash. I'm like, what? I couldn't believe it at first, dude. I was playing pickup, actually. I was playing ball when I heard. Really? It was crazy. We literally just finished playing pickup, and then the news came. Which didn't, like, that. I don't want to say it feels right, but it was just, like, that weird coincidence where, like, if there yeah. was nothing I would have rather been doing before I heard that news about Kobe Bryant than balling. You know what I mean? Like, that. that's how I would want to tribute you know, give a tribute to him would be to play basketball. Yeah. When I heard. One thing that, uh, um, if there is like a silver lining coming out of that, it, it kind of like, it seemed to like bring the country together in a weird way. Like usually I'm flipping back and forth between Fox and CNN and they're just complete parallel universes. You know, like they'll have completely opposite takes on what's going on in the impeachment trial. But when something like that happens, they're both, they're, all of the news stations are the same. Mm-hmm. They're all reporting on Kobe and they're all sad. 
And I'm like, God, like, at least, you know, like, such a larger-than-life figure, he actually was able to, like, bring us together as a culture to mourn, which is, I don't know, just gives you hope for America and this weird, <laughs> divisive right. space. Whether, whether you were a basketball fan we or not, it. everybody loved Kobe. Yeah. He's probably one of the most least-hated public figures. Everybody well, he had, him. like, that rape thing or whatever in 2003. Right. And, look, I don't want to bring that up right now because I fucking love Kobe. I cried when he fucking died. Mm-hmm. Um, there is actually one, there is one fucking uh, Washington Post reporter who literally, maybe an hour after the news broke, posted a link to Kobe's 2003 rape case. And the Washington Post ended up suspending her just because there was so much outrage over it. It's just like, now is not the time. Like, all right, fine. If we're going to talk about the holistic life of Kobe, maybe there's a place to mention that or whatever. But first of all, he was acquitted. So it's not like he was ever, you know, no one knows what happened. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there's like, that was a whole thing. Right, and... Which is a question, like, when is, the, when is it the appropriate time to bring up stuff like that when you're mourning someone's death and stuff? You know, it's an interesting question. And even, like, bringing that up with him, he has, a, he has three daughters and a wife. Like, he, you know, even if he did, like, even, a, he was, first of all, he was acquitted, right? But even if he yeah. did do it, he definitely, right, you know, righted his wrong, right? He had all, he's an awesome figure outside of basketball. He has a family. He's giving back to the community. Like, do you, does it really matter that much to you that you have to bring this back up after that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, rape's a tough one, you know. So, like, I don't know if you can ever if you, if you, let's if he actually did rape someone, I don't know if you could ever truly. Yeah, I don't think there's going to write that, that one. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were just talking about the penalty for. I don't know. I just yeah, don't I mean, wanna, yeah. I, I'm also I don't want to get canceled on this podcast. It's like <gasps> yeah, yeah. he said that even if Kobe did it, then he would write it the wrong. You can't write. Yeah. Right. All right, you can cancel that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Cut it. Um, um, yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, I think Kobe, um, Kobe definitely was like a very, very impactful figure. You know, he was such an inspiration to people who, you know, for other sports, for people who were, he just had like generalized um, advice for everybody. And um, his daughter, I was really, you know, even when I heard about the news from Kobe, I was like praying because they weren't saying who else was on the helicopter with him. And I was just praying, please don't let his family be on there too. And I, you know, it made and it made sense that his daughter was with her with him because they were going to practice. But um, it sucked because she was like really, really good at basketball. Like she was gonna go big, and she, she was, wanted to go to UConn. She was coming to UConn. Mm-hmm. It was her dream to play. And Kobe came to like scout for her and everything. Um, I don't know. It's just really sad when you hear stuff like that. And everybody else in the the helicopter and stuff, they were all like, they were teammates, fellow coaches, assistant coaches. So it was like. You know, and there, but the the thing I have the biggest problem with is that there's so many different instances. Probably that morning, that probably could have changed just one small thing, and it wouldn't have happened because yeah. it was foggy that morning. Right. And there's news reports that it wasn't the same because he takes those helicopter rides all the time. It's the same like route he always takes. But there was reports that like the the helicopter was a different one. The one that they usually take wasn't in service or wasn't. Uh, wasn't available that day oh, really? and the pilot is not like used to that or isn't more familiar with that there's like a bunch of different um cases a little like details like that that aren't really being shined on too much but there are a lot of little details like that that i know that if just if it was just foggy that morning they didn't go or you know because he wakes up really early and he works out and then he goes to church and with his with his daughter and then yeah. he then he goes back home that. and then he goes to practice and stuff um, so I just know that like, you know, cause I have, I have this superstitious feeling when I wake up or am I about to leave 
about to drive somewhere and I have a gut feeling that something bad's gonna happen, I listen to that gut feeling. There's a reason why you have that intuition. So I know that once I have a gut feeling that something bad's gonna happen, I don't do it. I don't go follow through with it. So I think of stuff like that. Like what if Kobe woke up, went to church, went to work out, and he had a gut feeling that something was gonna happen, but he didn't listen to it. Or let's say somebody was telling him like, you know, oh, you know, I don't have a good feeling about today. Maybe you should stay home, skip practice, or take a different route, drive instead. But no, what if he didn't listen to it? And I think about that stuff all the time. And that just pains me to know that if something, just there's so many little details that could have been changed, that could have prevented. You know what I mean? Actually, totally got me like thinking there. This is kind of like to kind of get off the Kobe topic because that is like a sad one. But in terms of like the in the intuition right. thing, like right, maybe he, even even if he did, what if he didn't though? Like, I wonder if if like that intuition, that gut feeling, is always reliable or not. You know, do you think you like do you do you trust your body enough that if something like that was going to happen, like you would have an intuition? Like, because what if he didn't? Before getting on that helicopter, or I'm, even in general, like even if before you get in a car, what if you do have that gut feeling? And then nothing happens. Like, what do you think that comes from? Do you think, like... Survival. So you think... It's our instinct. We have to that know, To know the future, that to know that, like, the, the soon-coming future is going to be a dangerous one? I mean, it's, it's hard. one thing, yeah, for yeah. a lion's in the bush, and you're like, wait a minute, <clears throat> like, something's around. But, like, <laughs> you know? I hear, I hear you out. Um, I don't know, but I feel like... Yeah, I, okay, yeah, sorry. I mean, <laughs> it's, hard, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to explain with, like a graspable concept to tell you, yeah, it's this, this, and that. It's not a black and white answer. Mm. But I know that I know that we've been around too long to learn from, like, that's why we're born inherently, like, for instance, um, when you bring a kid around, like, let's say your mom and her, their child, right? And they're bringing the kid around, and they meet, you meet the mom, right? Or, and you're friends with the mom, but you've never met the kid. The kid, you, the mom brings the kid with you, right? And the mom is telling the kid, oh, say hi, say hi to, and they're talking to you about you. Like, oh, say hi. What does the kid do? The kid hides behind Usually, the mom's, like, right. leg, is, like, right. holding Intuition. on to the mom's leg, right? Because right. it's about stranger, stranger danger, danger kind yeah. of concept, right? Mm -hmm. But that's the name we put to it. But the real, like, biological, evolutionary concept behind it is that way years back in, like, like tribal times. familiar type. Right. right. Whenever, whenever you were part of a tribe and you were caught, like, in, in like a no man zone or caught crossing borders and you were by yourself, you would get snatched up because right. they'd use you or they'd kill you, whatever. So we've learned from that to know, stay close to who you're familiar with, right. don't go to who you're not. But in the same concept about evolutionary fear, when a kid picks up a gun, what does the kid do? Does the kid throw it away? No, they play it's with enough. it because they think it's a toy right. because our evolutionary timeline hasn't caught up with us being That's born. That's crazy. When, we, when right. it does catch up, then but, we'll know But the problem is that we're, <laughs> progressing, we're progressing way too fast. We are progressing as a society right. That's faster. That's technology thing's moving exactly. so fast. Yeah. So I think, I think we have that intuition. It's a little outdated because we're moving too fast, but we have it because we're born with that already. That's why you already are afraid of strangers. Right. So I, do, I think we have that intuition because we want to survive and we've learned from it. We adapt to it. So I think yes, those gut feelings are reliable, and it's 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 hard to apply it to such an advanced society. But we have it because it it's not really our our minds and our bodies know it's not just about what's going to kill you is the possibility that there is something that's going to kill you. So whether you go in the car ride and the car is going to be what kills you, or a tree falling down what kills you, doesn't matter. Something's going to happen. 
That's why I think the intuition is true, and I think you should listen to it. And whether or not nothing happens, better safe no, better than safe sorry. Than sorry. Well, I was just, remember what Lundquist was saying yesterday about that study about the guy knowing the future about right. So it was so we have um, psych research methods. It's just some like boring class, but he was talking about an interesting social psychological uh, study that was done by this guy Daryl Ben. Daryl Ben. Yeah, no good. That was sources, I, I wanted to make sources. sure I remember that. <laughs> um, he did a study. I can't remember what he said specifically, but he basically found data that showed that people like had a good idea about being able to tell the future or something like that. And like his p-value was below 0.05, which makes it legit. And people were like, we can't tell the future. How does this happen? Like, how does he get data that supports this when we know humans can't see into the future? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But now I'm, I almost brought that up in class because I mean, because I was like, well, is it the, what's the difference between seeing the future exactly and having intuitions about the future about, you know, about the future being something dangerous or good? You know, having that feeling like, oh, this is going to go well, this isn't going to go well. Isn't that the same as, as seeing the future anyway? If you can predict that car ride's not going to go well and then it doesn't because you had a feeling, isn't that I the did. same as telling the future? You might not know exactly what just happened, right. but you knew the future was going to be dangerous. So right, wouldn't right. that be telling the future in a way? I don't. I actually don't think the um, – I actually think the study – I'm not too well-versed in the study, but I think the study had to do with intuition. Okay. Which it, I, it I actually tested that. To him better, but, it, yeah. I think it tested that. But, I mean, we have to – I have to research the study a little bit more because it was actually pretty interesting. But, um, and they but, no, you're proved right. it later, I think, after like looking at his data, right? They said it right. wasn't legit. But basically the whole concept is that, and the professor that we had was pretty generalized, which is saying you predict the future. But the concept was that he proved it by studying it and testing your intuition and came with a p-value below 0.05, which makes it a significant study to publish. And it got published, but the scientists or the editors that were publishing the study that allowed it to go through past publishing saw that the significance value was there to publish it, that it was like credible, that he did the study right. But they, but the professor was bringing up the point that they didn't look at the whole concept was that you can predict the future. Right. And that's such an easy concept to just say, well, obviously you can't do that. So why would we even publish that? They were only looking at the statistics of it. And that's why the professor was almost getting a little angry at the fact that they would like pass something this, and you know it wasn't certified. <laughs> he was, he because, was shitting on right because he was like he was like well we're gonna <laughs> like, li we're gonna listen bullshit. to this one study that says you can predict the future and have like a million other studies that show you can't. Yeah. But I disagree with the professor because yeah I thought the whole point of science is being open minded and passing those barriers. So whether or not. We can or cannot predict the future like in a legitimate way that we all think we can, like just seen into a crystal ball. Uh -huh. Intuition is a form of it. Intuition, being aware that something's going to happen and having a bad gut feeling, you're, pre you're protecting yourself and preventing for something that's going to happen in the future. All right, let me, let me hop in here because I have some thoughts. Sorry, Cody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Sorry. our podcast, actually. Just let you know. This is my show. <laughs> uh, well, so I think the reasoning that you just laid out with respect to how cultural evolution transpires at such a quicker rate than biological evolution, right? Um, I think that's an actually, you could use that insight to argue against why, or to, to say, to suggest why we shouldn't always trust our intuitions, right? Because if I'm in a plane, um, the, but my biological hardware or whatever is saying like, yo, you shouldn't be up here right now because this isn't natural, right? True. We're but, in the sky. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So like we, again, that hasn't, um, biological evolution hasn't caught up to like accommodate for that new technology or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm, my body might be like, you should like, this is really scary. You should get out of here. But statistically speaking, it's very safe. Right. Right. So you actually, so you actually, in that case, you shouldn't listen to your right. intuition in that case. Exactly. Um, um, and it, I don't know, personally speaking for me, I just definitely am more 
you know, like there's some people that have an optimism bias and some people that have a pessimism bias. Like people with an optimism bias are just people who think that nothing wrong can ever happen to me, right? Those bad things that I see in the news, those happen to other people. Mm-hmm. And that can be really dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. But then on the other end of the spectrum, people have a pessimism bias where you think that anything that can go wrong will, will go, go wrong. wrong. Right. And on that spectrum, for me personally, I'm definitely more on the pessimism bias side of things. Like whenever I you know, like the moment I get a headache, I'm like, oh, you have a brain tumor, get your affairs in order, <laughs> two weeks to live, you know, and I'm like, like, or when I'm on a fl- uh, plane and there's like a little bit of turbulence, I'm like, all right, bro, over. it's <laughs> over, it's <laughs> clear. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, yo, you We're better done. try to find God real quick. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I, I just like, um, I'm aware of that that's a feature of my mind and I just always try to like actively override it. So for me, I'm always much more tentative about trusting those intuitions or like those natural fears that I have. Like, so, if, you know, if I have, if I'm about to go on a plane and I have that sense, like, you shouldn't go on this plane, my initial reaction isn't like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't. It's, uh, you're just being delusional and irrational, you know? Right. But I don't know. I mean, I, d- I definitely think that in some circumstances, but see, the thing about intuition, again, why I think that intuition has evolved to track truth, right? Uh, like, we have, all these psychological dispositions that we have have evolved to help us pass our genes down to the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. To, for survival. Right. So why why think that these intuitions have evolved to track truth? I guess I guess well, maybe insofar as truth is conducive to surviving. Yeah. Maybe they will, but I don't. Know, this is you know this is always a thing in philosophy. Like philosophers will just have like different fundamental intuitions on certain thought experiments or whatever. And it gets to a certain point where. It, it's hard to like for the argument to progress because like we just have different fundamental intuitions. So whose intuitions should we, should we trust? Right. Are all of our intuitions mistaken? I don't know. Do you think that's um? I like that. I like your example of the plane especially. But do you think that's where maybe innate fears come from? People have an innate fear of heights. Maybe it's because that's their intuition taking over, and maybe some people are better at suppressing it than others so when you're up there because that's also another thing like i have a fear of roller coasters but yeah you're same. right statistically it's safe or proven to be safe they're tested to be safe but i don't like roller coasters i hate them yeah but that doesn't necessarily come with my fear of heights that just becomes for a very specific cultural add-on to society right yeah, yeah. but I like well, your it's exam- still your fear of heights, though, in a way. It, you're still it, up high. Parts it, yeah, it parts into it. But like you said, when you're up there, you acknowledge that you're naturally, as a human, not supposed to be that high up in the atmosphere right? as the plane. Yeah. But So people who have a fear of heights have that intuition taking over more than others who are able to sit very comfortably in a plane, go to sleep, watch a movie, not care, mm-hmm. and they're suppressing it easier than people who aren't. Or maybe they just don't listen to their intuition at all and almost becomes like a muscle memory where you no longer listen to it. Yeah, and I think there's maybe something to that, but I feel like some people, the way the way that you described it is like everyone has the same innate fear of heights and some people are able to like override it more than others. I think it is probably the case that some people just have a greater natural fear of heights than others But is for it, whatever reason. Is it learned or is it innate? Like, do you think that current people's fears of heights, of spiders... No, I think spiders, height, height sounds like... That's like an innate one, right? Because, right. I mean, you can give kind of like a Darwinian explanation as to why we would have evolved that fear because we're near heights mm-hmm. that could kill us if we if we, mm-hmm. if we fall. Right. Um, but, yeah, I, I always just try to, like... Like, whenever I'm on a plane, I just remind myself of the statistics, you know, that, like, this is a much safer mode of transportation... Than driving, you know, it's, when I'm driving and I'm 
being an idiot and like looking at my phone sometimes while I'm driving. I'll admit it. I fucking do it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I have 911 on speed now. <laughs> we're, calling the, we're calling the cops right now as we speak. <laughs> but that's when, I, that's when I should be worried. right? It's those moments where I look quickly look down at my phone while I'm driving. That's when my risk of dying is peaking. Way, way higher. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, right. I'm not worried peaked. at all. <laughs> I'm not worried at all. It's when I'm on the plane that I'm really scared. Right. It's completely irrational. So yeah. I, I try to listen to... You know, again, like the statistics more than my intuition when it comes to these things. And it's like, you know, it's the same. My initial reaction to the Kobe thing was, well, I'm never fucking flying in a helicopter. <laughs> but I'm scared of helicopters. <laughs> yeah, right. right. That's fair. So, yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got for you. Me too. We're done. We're done here. <laughs> let's, um, let's shift towards your list. What's on your list? Yeah, what's yeah, on your I, list? Um, actually, there was something earlier that, no, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, all right, so I wanted to talk about the show The Boys. Have you heard the about the show? Nope. Okay, so this is a, a show on Amazon Prime, um, and it's about superheroes that are basically like market marketized or commercialized. So they're owned by this company, and and they're they're like their stocks are tracked. So like it's not about so you know a traditional superhero is about for the good of the people, save the day because that's the right thing to do. You know, like Batman and whatever, right? Right. This show is not like, this, that's not what superheroes are. In this show, there's a corporation that owns the superheroes. And they're only allowed to save the day when the media is there. <laughs> Are you serious? They're the, owned the, by the company, so they're not they're they're not superheroes. They're like a product. But, but they're, they're the most valuable. They, they're real people the, that the, have been that were born with the powers and raised. Powers. There's like 200 or something of them in the world. But this company has like the inner circle, which is like the top seven. So yeah. there's superheroes everywhere, all owned by the company, and then there's the top seven who are like the most popular, right? They're the ones that are on all the billboards and all the movies and all that. They're kind of like sports stars. They are, but they're superheroes. So it's it's just a really cool concept because they're all super ignorant. They're all awful people because they're superheroes. They're better than everybody, and they know it because they don't <laughs> die by bullets. They don't, you know, they can't drown. What so, are some of the powers? Um, the main guy is called Homelander, and he's basically like super Superman. He can fly. He's got the laser eyes. You know, super strength, whatever. Then there's the Deep Aquaman. There's um, A Train is is the Flash, basically. Um, there's there's another one. She's like the Wonder Woman type. There's like there's a bunch. Then there's some that are like different, that are like not traditional, like their own kind of powers. But I think the show is it's absolutely genius because if superheroes were real, that's what it would be like. Oh, they so, would, so. I think if they were raised from a young age, yeah. I, like if, I think at first superheroes would be about saving the day. But if a company could lock them down and convince them that they need money, you know what I mean? Because they're people too. It's not like they can just And the company doesn't money. allow them to fight crime if they, there's no media? They so, don't want right, it because they want the good publicity. I just want to clarify. So basically you're saying that the superheroes are being used as products. They are, yes. So they're not being used as actual heroes. They're products. They're to products. The, to society. They're literally like they're one of the first in the first episodes, one of the new like super Superheroes in the in the big in the inner circle like save somebody, and she gets in trouble because it was like at night in the middle of nowhere like with no it wasn't she wasn't assigned the mission to go save the day or anything she just helped out some poor girl, and she gets in trouble <laughs> for it, like it's crazy because there's all this media involved and all these like rules and shit because they're supposed to you know because they they try and um like they try and put laws on them so they're not like too powerful in a way because like they are superior they could just run the world if they wanted to. 
know yeah. what I mean? But it's just crazy because like they'll save the day and then they'll walk away and go, "Did you see that fucking cripple back there?" Like you know what I mean? Like and then laugh about it. Like they're just awful people, but they know they can be because they're they're better than everybody because they have powers. <laughs> it's just like a really it's a really cool. Sh- and then the boys are these guys, these normal dudes who are trying to take them down because they they know that you know the superheroes are actually like really awful people. But they're still doing good deeds. In front of the media, yes. in front of the media, but behind the scenes, they'll they'll like they'll kill people on accident. Like this oh, is oh really? Oh, yeah, this is okay. That right. changes the whole script. Because okay, like, right, maybe they have bad personality. <laughs> no, no, like no, they're like they're still, no. If they don't save the day, they have to cover it up. If they fail, they just the media won't report on it, and then they cover okay. it up. I like see. there's a plane crash that they fuck up on. So there's a bunch of collateral damage that just kind of goes that they just up under the radar, swoop under the rug. The, what, mm. the, all right, so I'll, you guys should watch the show, but I'll tell you the first episode because. So basically, the, yeah, spoiler alert, first episode of The Boys here. The, this boys. Guy, the main character is like this nerdy guy, and he gets involved with The Boys because he's outside on the road talking to his girlfriend, and his girlfriend, like, she steps like one step off the curb, right? And he's just like standing there holding their hands or talking about getting dinner or whatever, and A-Train, the, the Flash, runs through her. She literally explodes. I know the show now. I've s- okay, I've seen the first episode. You have. Okay. Oh my god. She I completely literally, forgot about he it. She literally runs I've right s- through her and he's left with her arms. Obliterates in her. Hand. her. Like literally he's, leaves he's, her he's, to pieces. I've seen this I've seen the scene. And he just, wait, why he was trying to save her? No, he was he runs right through he's her. He's on his stops. way somewhere. Yeah, and, and he's just like, oh, happens gotta- to run through this girl and <laughs> obliterates her to like like just her pieces are all over the <laughs> the sidewalk. So he stops Whoops. and he's like he, he just throws like a twenty dollar bill on her. He does. He's, he's pile of limbs. <laughs> he stops and he's like he stops and Get he's like something nice. Yeah. I'm trying to save the day or something. Like I'm no, trying he, to stop a bank robbery. He, or no, he stops and, and he, says, takes he off. says he, no. He stops. He says I'm sorry. I got to keep going and just runs away. But it turns out later he's like high on some drug. So he didn't mm. see where he, so he, you know what I mean? So they're like, they're doing drugs and shit like that. Like they're just, they're, they're normal people with powers, but like, you know what I mean? <laughs> the show is, the show is that. genius. That's it's awesome. I think it's nuts. such a cool twist on superheroes. I've, I've seen the one where the guy's invisible. Yep, that's one of the superheroes. Wait, so I have a question for you. I have an ethical question for you. So uh, it's it, kind of brutal. It is. The, the show is the show's got a Game of Thrones esque. It's really brutal. brutal. It's a lot of like gore and fighting and stuff. Would it's you, awesome. Would you think it's, oh, so what if, um, it's an awesome show. I don't know if this is the case in the show, but what if it's the case? That yeah, they're shitheads and there's all this collateral damage, but they actually do more good for society than bad. Like they save more lives than they kill, but they do kill needless people. Would you think that that's okay? That's no, a net that's, positive uh, for society. That's absolutely that's not. That's a tough. Well, I don't know. No, 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 hold on, hold on. If you're a, a utilitarian, <laughs> you might say that's not ethically permissible. It depends on the situation. It does. Because what your definition of them doing something bad on the side when they're not being reported by the media and they're killing people like you they're just said. They're running through people that's, like, yeah, that's, that's pretty really bad. fucked up. Right. But if you think about it, if, you, if you're giving the example where, like, it's the whole train, like, change the track, kill five people or one, yeah, like, yeah, the whole, the that, that whole thing... Then that then that's a different story, but yeah. if they're on the side doing completely opposite of what a hero should do, there should be absolutely no deaths whatsoever, mm-hmm. or else you incriminate them. Yeah, it's point blank period. I feel like that's pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a it's kind of like an argument against utilitarianism, mm-hmm. where that says like the ethically right thing to do is always the greatest good for the greatest number. So you know, a utilitarian would say that like, well, if if uh, torturing some innocent girl in a coliseum brings happiness to everyone in the coliseum watching, um, you know, it's kind of like a really fucked up example. <laughs> yeah, wow. What does it say, Jacob? Where's this coming from? Are you good? <laughs> you okay? No. Um, no, no, this is a famous... Uh, <laughs> there's the... Um, 
this comes from some philosopher, like who's arguing okay, against utility. Cody. It comes from you, right? Oh, right philosopher Cody. comes you from this point deranged mind. <laughs> um, but he's just like, yeah, imagine a society where everyone just loves like just watching this little girl get tortured. So it actually, a utilitarian would say that it's okay to trample over someone's individual rights if doing so brings amount the greatest good for society at large, mm -hmm. which is supposed to be a counterexample to utilitarianism because the intuition is, well, of course that's not, wrong. Yeah, that's wrong. You can't just right. trample over people's individual rights. Yeah. So there's like a similar thing going on in the in the superhero thing. It's like, right. yeah, they might like run through someone every once in a while, but you know, they're doing good. Well, that's after that happens to that guy's girlfriend that some lawyer shows up and is like, we're so sorry. Here's like some money. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it's like, we're just going to cover this up. You you get some money now and, you know, they're saving people. So it's okay. And he like is obviously like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't okay. It was so messed up. And then up. the that show goes from there. That you should, The show is awesome. Up. But, but I definitely want to watch it. That was a messed up. But um, no, I get what you're saying. And I, I don't know. Similar thing with Thanos in the... I was always a fan of Thanos. I Because that's his whole premise, right? He's, He's like, like, yeah, let's kill. We want to maximize like the good, the utility for the universe... And doing so involves killing half of the universe. Right. It's a utilitarian point of view. Spoiler. <laughs> Just letting you know. I haven't watched like the most recent movie. You didn't see Endgame? Game? No. Is it good? Should oh, I watch it's it? freaking it's really awesome. good. It's really good. Really? Yeah. I was Great never really into up. it. I was never really into it. So it's, you happens. know what? It's better than Game of Thrones. So you'll be happy what? to see the end of the end of Endgame is way better than the end of Game of Thrones. By far. Okay. I mean he hasn't seen end, the end of Game of Thrones, but he would agree. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, were you going? To, did you want to make another point on that show? What's no, that was the, I, the boys. The boys. Oh yeah, the boys. No, the Jesus point. Fuck. The point was the just boys. that. The point is that that's such a cool take on superheroes because every other thing you see with superheroes is right. they're the good guys saving it. You know, Marvel superheroes are saving the day, yeah. and you know all that crap. Also, that show is like these right. are superheroes, but they're not really that hero. I also, you know? I they're also, just more super yeah, than they are. Hero. I also would feel like if that if superheroes were real, that is would that exa that's exactly how they would contribute to society, right? Because they're also people that want to get mo make make money. Like right. they're getting paid by that company that owns them. People would so. definitely monetize their entire image. So yeah. without a doubt, I 100% believe that that show would be an accurate depiction of what goes behind the scenes. I mean, that's and that's kind of like what's happening on a micro scale in the social media world. You know, it's like if no one's watching, are you going to pick up a piece of trash? But then True. the moment you, there's someone around, it's like, see, look how good of a person I am. You know, right. like just that yeah. kind of phenomenon where it's like, yeah, you just automatically change your behavior if there's an observer. We did, that was in social psych. Even if you don't realize it. What yeah, was that, that is a theory. What was that concept? Fuck, we learned it. I'm sure it has some official fancy name. It does. Yeah, some, psych some Harvard psychologist. <laughs> we learned that. It was a study where people were in a parking lot, and they saw somebody. It was a clean parking lot, and they saw somebody pick up trash. Yeah. It was there. Like, the that was the control, was somebody picking up the trash. And um, it would be to test if, if already. So the two different places were in a clean parking lot, with a subject cleaning, picking up a piece of trash or not picking up a piece of trash, and then in a dirty parking lot with already trash everywhere and somebody's in the parking lot picking up something or somebody's not picking up something. And the out of all four instances, the one where people always did the right thing and picked up trash was the one clean in parking a clean lot. parking lot with somebody, somebody else watching. with a model doing what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, I, what was they the see someone name? else picking up trash, then they're inspired to do it on that basis. But, but also in a clean parking lot, because right. in the dirty one, they are they have the mindset, oh, it's already fucked That's up. Already, like, it's beyond me. What, just what can we do? I mean, pick it up <laughs> one, one piece of trash, dude. It's for not this lot here. Yeah. It's already a mess. And, and and also the model of somebody littering, not just picking up trash, littering. Yeah, they they also yeah. model and litter when somebody else that, does. 
Uh, what the fuck was that? Well, there, there's so many things there. I remember the concept. Uh, we we learned that. It has right, to do it. with like the whole wanting to be accepted yeah. by the people around you. Idea yeah, again, you know, and that does student. this seem right? Does it seem wrong? Like it's it's so interesting. The one where the parking lot's already dirty. And not everybody picks up the piece of trash, even if they see somebody else pick up a piece of trash, because the parking lot is already dirty. Like, to them, it's like, oh, it's just supposed to be this way. Like, no, it's not. And it's yeah. weird because, if anything, you should be more motivated to pick up the piece of trash in the when dirty parking lot because right. there's more trash. Right. And the clean one, it's like, oh, there's just one piece. Like, what's but that going to do? But for whatever reason, it's like, eh, it's already I don't really want right. to be guess, the one who right. changes this area. Right. I don't want to be that I person. Guess, I guess maintaining it. Maintaining it when it's already clean, maintaining it clean, people are more ma- motivated to. Yeah. Then when it's dirty, it feels too much of a hassle to get it there. Yeah. So people aren't going to put in that work. And I feel like that's a parallel to a lot of stuff. And it's easier to be noticed. Like if I just have a really dirt, if I have a really clean room and there's just one bottle on the floor, mm-hmm. oh, I, right. it just stands out. I'm like, oh, just get it. Mm-hmm. But if it's all my clothes are just scattered around the floor, I'm Fuck just it. like, I don't even notice the bottle. Right, it just kind of right. blends in with the background scenery. Right. But another example that I wanted to uh, hit upon that you made me think about is just. Uh, you know, like they're inspired to pick up the piece of trash because they see someone else doing it. And that just speaks, I think, to the fact that so much of human behavior is just imitative by nature. There's this one psychological sure. experiment. Um, I forget where it's from, but they put someone in a room. And uh, in the first instance, they had smoke come under the door, right? And there's no one else in the room. And this person was just smoke coming under the door. And the person starts freaking the fuck out. Because they're like, yo, there's fucking smoke coming out of the door. Like, what's, get, out, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Then in the second instance, there's someone else in the room. And the smoke comes under the door. And the other person is just so chill about it. You know, it's just like, it's just fine. So the other person, the guy who, and th- this person's in the know. Right. right? Yeah, and the test subject looks to the person in the know and says, oh, well, they seem fine with it. So everything must be okay. Right. right. So then they don't do anything because the other person isn't doing anything. And I feel like that phenomenon can explain how some of the worst atrocities in history have been committed at a mass scale, like mass evil, right? Because mm-hmm. it's this imitative phenomenon where, well, this seems kind of bad, right? But it's like, well, everyone else thinks it's okay and it's being normalized and it's fine. So we're just kind of like imitating and then no one else does anything because, well, they're not doing anything, so it must be fine. That person's not doing things, so it must be fine. Right. And then suddenly it's like, well, how did everyone let this happen? Because everyone was just imitating everyone else, you know? We also we also learned that in social psych, and the term is escaping me. But when in a term in a, in an example of an emergency, you look to an authoritarian figure for answers. You always resort to them. Do you remember? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about, but yeah, once again. But basically, the, the whole concept is there's the, two ex- there's uh, two different uh, there are two different ways that the society uh, another situation where people around you. Um, influence what your actions are. I think it's the social influence theory, actually. But basically where in times of emergency, you look to an authority figure Mm. for answers. You don't find a solution yourself. You find somebody who you perceive. So if your plane's going down, you look to the flight attendant. Right, right. Stuff like that, right? Right. Or yes. in... Yeah, there was the emergency one that's like that one, and then there's another one where, like, when you're unsure, you'll look to the people around you. Like, in a social scene, like, yeah. there was, like, two parts to that. That's well, I, that's that the other saying? one I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I can't remember what it's called either yeah. now. No, and I just... Yeah, I just see, just I see it myself thing. when I'm, like, crossing... Like, in New York City, if there's, like, some, like, ambitious New Yorker who'll just cross the street... And I see them doing it. I'm like, oh, they're oh. doing it. it. Must be fun, right? You know, like <laughs> it might not be safe at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny too. New York is like one of those places where you can see somebody walk down the street half like naked, and if nobody's like nobody doesn't like nobody cares. They're like, all they're all too busy with their with their. Yeah, it's crazy too, that yeah. how in New York it's like that where 
some dude in a chicken costume screaming about the world ending can run right by you and most people will just continue walking. Oh, you know oh what I mean? yeah. And I mean, like everybody in there, they don't care. Like, they see it all the time. It's, it is desensitized. Well, the, the same thing with the homeless thing in New York. The first time I experienced, because I, you know, I didn't really grow up in a city or anything. Yeah. But I, you know, I remember kind of like being in, I forget the circumstance, but I remember being in a city, like, for the first time and just like seeing people just, you know, stepping over like homeless people. And I'm like, there's a human, like, suffering right there. I was just like, shut up, kid, keep moving. <laughs> you know? So it's just like people are just so it's just so normalized, you know, so desensitized. And I feel like anything can become like that. Anything can become normalized or desensitized, right? Again, even like I mass think, evil. I was gonna say, I think war is one of those things that's like that, and it's kind of absurd that we think it's okay yeah. for any conflict to 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 raise to the point where a bunch of politicians can decide that we need to send thousands of people at each other to kill each other. There should be no conflict that arises that ever. Except maybe, That's like you ideal. said, except like World War II where somebody's mass murdering a bunch of innocent people, then okay, maybe all thousands of us should fight each other over it. But even then, it's like like you said, what, if, you, if some people had just not stood there and done what other people were doing, you could have stopped it before it got to that level. And right. now all of a sudden we need a whole mass of people to go fight each other. Right. Like right now, most of the, like It's all about oil now. It's all about, and it is. I don't want to make this too no, political. No, 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 no. I don't want to make this. No, I hate politics. No, the thing, <laughs> we hate politics. Is so you a MAGA boy? <laughs> <laughs> This is MAGA country, boy. <laughs> Dude, it's so frustrating. All politics is is just us listening to people say stuff that we don't even really know if they're telling the truth. You don't know. I don't do enough research. And even if I do the right, even if I do the research, I could be looking at the wrong source. You know? Yeah. Do I even really know my own shit about nobody any of that stuff? I mean, nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about. It's weird because I feel like we live in this world where there's more knowledge than ever. And, 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 um, like 200 years ago, it was possible to be like a polymath where you could like really understand the totality of human knowledge. But now knowledge is so specialized and there's just so much of it that it's impossible for any one human being to really know everything. Like we inevitably defer to others in so much of our beliefs that we have. Like most of our knowledge is testimonial knowledge. So there's that fact that we're living in what some philosophers have called an intellectual apocalypse, where knowledge, which is due to the fact that knowledge is so specialized. That fact coupled with the fact that there's more pressure because of like the social media incentives to have an opinion on everything. So it's like, we're actually more ignorant than ever, but there are more incentives to feel like you're more knowledgeable than ever and to have an opinion on everything. Because That's whenever like something happens, crazy. whenever something happens, there's always that incentive to have a take, get your take in on social media. Like, mm -hmm. what's your take on this, right? Like, right, what's your right. opinion on this? Right, uh, right, 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 right. But it's like, it's just weird because we're living in a world where there's just so much, like you shouldn't have to have an opinion on everything because I, mean, I don't. I don't know anything. Like mo most of the stuff that I know, again, is just based on what I've heard from sources that I deem to be credible. Mm -hmm. So it's just weird. Like, you have these like two factors which are like are at odds with one another. Like we're all more ignorant than ever. Like in a, in a sense, people were more knowledgeable. Well, not more knowledgeable, but they were more like self sufficient, like hundreds of years ago, right? Because like you were taught like how to like hunt for food and like do it. You know, take care of yourself. But now it's like. I don't know how to fucking hunt for food. Like I, I just I <laughs> I don't go to the, boil water. What the fuck? I go to that store on the block and they have the food right there. I stick my card in a little fucking machine right. and I go back. <laughs> you know, so it's just like we're like, yeah, I don't know. That's it. It's just it's just, it's just those two incentives like running in direct contradiction with one another. You know? I never thought of it like that. But, it, I mean, yeah, it's the social media thing is insane. Like, the whole... Like, you don't need you to have need an opinion on everything. That's the only thing I'm trying to say. No, it's totally... That's totally legit. And everybody, for the most part, you know, they do. That's a lot fair. of the time. I feel like there's, there's a... I mean, 
a perfect example is like having a stance on something that you're not too intelligent about or knowledgeable about, I should say, um, is fine. But when you try to contradict someone who knows more and create an argument out of it, that's when it becomes a problem. Because you basically what I'm saying is stay in your lane. I agree. <clears throat> you have a take on something, but you don't need to have a take about every single topic that comes up. So if there's somebody that you're speaking to that is more knowledgeable about the topic, instead of trying to have an argument, learn from them because they know more than you. Don't mm. try to contradict them because you have a take that doesn't align with them. But if they know more, just learn from them. Right. It doesn't always have to be a contradiction and argument. It's almost like <laughs> it's almost like the original, like say in, in con- for the context of this, like Twitter, right? That's probably where the most opinionated stuff ends up I going hate out. Twitter. It's almost Are you like, on Twitter? Are you guys on Twitter? I am. I'm not because I hate Twitter. Really? I, my accounts mainly retweet, so I don't usually post anything on my Yeah, own. I don't post that much. I just I'm just a watcher. Yeah, me too. I watch. <laughs> well, and, and in that sense, a lot of the time the original tweet, I feel like, isn't as toxic as the comment section. That's where you start getting the people who... That's fair. They have it, you know, that, those were the contradictory opinions come in and they don't have any they don't have much knowledge on it, but they're still going to tell you how dumb you are for your opinion. It's like, well, I, even if I'm dumb... Or you're just as dumb, right? You don't know as much about this as I do either. So just because you have a different stance doesn't give you the right to yell at me about it. The thing right? with Twitter is that Twitter. Like, why does it have to be at each other? Why can't you just? It's not just like it's not just right. have your own opinion, but it's also like go at others without the same opinion. Like, why can't you just tweet whatever you think and leave it? Why do you have to go comment on the other one and say how they're dumb? Because you know? Twitter's toxic. Because Twitter is Twitter is fucking bro. toxic. Is Twitter is a toxic relationship? But mm-hmm. regardless, I think. I, I know so many people, and this is why I don't like Twitter. Because Twitter has its benefits, but Twitter has its pros. I mean, it's my Everything's, news outlet. That's where exa- I get news Well, yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. Twitter's updated pretty quickly, so information's yeah. shared pretty quickly through Twitter because of how feasible it is. So, like, obviously, before any other social media prof- platform, Twitter usually hears it first. Right. And that's what I like about Twitter. Twitter is good for that. Twitter is good for... That's where I went for the Kobe news. I'm just like, is this real? I immediately I went to Twitter. Right, exactly. Um, for any breaking news, for forecasts, for anything. Like, Twitter's good for a lot of good things, but Twitter's not good for that reason alone because of how many people butt heads just for the purpose to butt heads for no actual reason to it. And also, I know a lot of people who opinionate themselves off of Twitter. Mm. I call them Twitter personalities because people literally just get their personality off of Twitter. They see whatever they are tweeted and they get retweets and they and they uh, go to comment sections, they see people's likes, whatever. But they, you just see that if you follow, and the people that have these personalities off Twitter, you look at their profile, and you look have a discussion about the same topics, they get all of their facts, their resources from Twitter. I'm not saying Twitter is a completely unreliable source, but to look at that one outlet of Twitter and to opinionate yourself off of what other people are saying solely and then take it as your own, I don't know. I don't like Twitter for that reason because I feel like Twitter's not as credible as people make it. Yeah, it just it incentivizes like emotional outrage too because I think there's a, there's a study done where it showed that um, tweets that have like explicitly emotional language in them are more likely to get retweeted, right? So if you have like this is preposterous, this is morally insane or whatever, you know. So there's like a, there's an incentive. It's just you know it's just if it bleeds, it leads. Is that mm-hmm. if it bleeds, it leads. It's that same basic principle where people are just drawn towards sensationalistic content. Another thing that I was thinking about recently with respect to social media and just the internet is how um, in one sense it's like liberalized, and you know, this isn't like a fucking novel point, but in one sense it's liberalized information 
because, but in another sense, it's made the fake news, it's like perpetuated the fake news problem. What I mean by that is it's allowed us to get past the gatekeepers, right? Like I feel like back in the day, there was just like a couple of news outlets, right? That everyone kind of got their news from and those are the trusted authorities, right? Those are the experts. And and if you wanted to have a, a voice in the public conversation, you needed to go through the gatekeepers. You needed to rise up the ranks in the news organization. Those are the gatekeepers of information. And what social media and the internet have allowed, they've allowed YouTube personalities to rise up. They've allowed independent people who can surpass the gatekeepers and contradict the mainstream news narrative, mm. which has been extremely good. And I feel like that's partly why mainstream media is kind of crumbling right now because right. you have this rise of alternative media and mm -hmm. podcasts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's allowing people to kind of like see through the looking glass and realize like a lot of this is just bullshit, Fact. you know? But so, so that's the good part of it. And in that sense, it liberalizes information by allowing us to bypass the gatekeepers. But the bad part of it is now it allows people who don't have any real expert expertise on a subject or credibility to feign expertise, right? Because... Um, you know, that they can amass a following. Like they could just be some random person in their basement who has a professional studio, so it looks like they're legit, and people start listening to them, but in reality, they're just insane, mm -hmm. right? So um, it, it, it's harder to identify. I guess it allows us to bypass the so-called experts, and in that sense, it's good because the so-called experts sometimes are just bullshitting and they don't really know what's up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it makes it harder to identify who's actually an expert. Because, you know, there might be some famous YouTuber and like, does this guy really know what he's talking about? Mm -hmm. You know? So it's just like, it's easier to get like duped by people as well, mm -hmm. I feel like. And, you know, and a lot of that is just responsible for like this weird fake news thing or whatever. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. And, and I, I kind of like what you're saying because it you're right because it allows us to get past the gatekeepers. I like the way you said it. But it, it's a blessing and a curse because these one people... This one person can have such influence over such a large portion of the population. Yeah. And a news source being biased is different than a YouTuber posting videos and everybody believing what he says or she says. You know what I mean? Because that's one person with that much power rather than, I don't know, am I making, do you get follow what I'm saying? I guess what, well, I'm, yeah. what I'm trying to say is that it's good that we have, we have people that can stand as a figure to stand behind as going against the grain going against oh you don't need to be a news source to have a political view that that reaches to a larger mass but it's not so great when if that one person it's basically power in the wrong hands yeah what i mean you know what i mean but a lot of times like there i don't i know that like, there's a the youtube algorithm the, the people that run YouTube, like I think recently they said it, so they're prioritizing credible sources. And by credible sources, they mean like mainstream outlets like CNN and Fox, mm -hmm. right? So if you're trying to get like news on a particular event that's happening, you'll and you type that into YouTube, those will come first. The algorithm will right. prioritize those first to the neglect of alternative media podcasts. Okay. And I don't know, personally, I'm increasingly convinced that the mainstream media is just really corrupt. So I, I do they're both CNN and Fox are two opposite ends of the thing. You could just get the op, you know, you'd get like you said, you'd get um, opposite stories from those two. So how are those more credible if you can watch one and get the story and then watch the other and get the like a totally different story on the same topic? How is that still credible? You yeah, know? I, they're just so I don't know. They're just like a lot of like YouTube personalities that I find to be more credible and like better at journalism than <laughs> CNN or, right. or Fox. Right? right? It's not just like a, it's not an anti-liberal thing at all. It's no, just it's an like anti-mainstream anti media thing. Right. right. And you can you know to demonstrate that because I feel like a lot of people, um, 
I'm from a conservative family, you know, so like a lot of people think like the mainstream media is just liberal and it's liberals versus conservatives. No, 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 no. It's outsiders versus insiders. And you see what, and we don't have to go too deep into politics, but you see that playing out in the Democratic um, um, pr primaries right now because they're, I don't know if you've been following it, but the mainstream media is like, it seems like they're systematically excluding or at least showing a bias against some some Democratic candidates who are outsiders, right? Like Andrew Yang, like Tulsi Gabbard, mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders, yeah. right? So these are Democrats, mm -hmm. but the mainstream media still doesn't like them for whatever reason. Like there have been countless examples of MSNBC, to take an example, just omitting Andrew Yang's name, like from polls, even though he's like polling at a uh, at a degree where he should be like on the picture. Right, yeah. yeah. Or they'll, they've had instances where like they have wrong pictures for Tulsi and Andrew Yang, where it's like someone else, so it's like some random Asian dude or something. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> and like they had like Jill Stein in for Tulsi and stuff like that. And then, you know, this, the hits on Bernie Sanders, like, I think. I feel like he's pretty mainstream now. He's become more mainstream. He's become more mainstream because uh, like the mainstream corporate establishment or whatever, I feel like is increasingly forced to recognize him because mm. he just has such a groundswell of support. But, you know, there's like the, I don't really know, I only really started becoming a political junkie recently, but, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of people who say that he was kind of cheated in 2016 or whatnot. But, and the, I don't know, recently, like there's this whole thing with like Liz Warren accusing Bernie Sanders of saying that a woman couldn't win the presidency. And then the last CNN debate, it seems like CNN was kind of, from my perspective at least, it seems like CNN was kind of in cahoots with Liz Warren because they asked him like, Bernie, did you say that? And he's like, no. And then they turned to Liz Warren and they said, so what did you respond when Bernie said that? And <laughs> Bernie's like, just well, like, what? I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, what is going on here? Like, you have these like weird outs, they just don't like the outsiders. That's what, again, all this is just to say, this makes me think that it's more of like an outsider insider thing than it is a conservative versus liberal thing. So more like an outside versus the Illuminati kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> it's the mainstream. Oh, no. Here we go. The mainstream the corporate establishment is the Illuminati, right? <laughs> no, but, that's a joke because I know you think that's bold. Well, no, no, no. no, I, no, actually, no you know what? I actually do believe in that. That's just funny. Well, no, actually, this is perfect. Like, Jeffrey Epstein. Like, at, at my, my question here, if we want to yeah, go into was, conspiracy theory oh, territory, that's, right, that's, right, that's just yeah. insane. That at what point does something not become a conspiracy theory anymore? Because it seems yeah. like this Jeffrey Epstein thing, everyone's just like, there's, there's no evidence that he was offed or whatever. You know, like, it seems like he committed suicide. But it's just like, there are so many variables that just went wrong. Like, the guards were sleeping. The, Wasn't it the video camera was like, they, they took the camera from the one above, like the cell above? And they lost the tape. Something from like his. that. Like, yeah, they, they lost there's no the evidence of him even doing like going like committing suicide. Like right. So if the mainstream media is saying this, that's just a conspiracy theory. Don't listen to that. At what point is it like, no, like you're the conspiracy theory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're <laughs> covering it up. <laughs> yeah, by saying it's not. Um, and that there is like evidence of that or whatever with like ABC or whatever, where there's that leaked audio of some reporter on ABC saying like, we had, was it ABC? I think it was ABC. Where the, 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 you can look it up. There's video for saying like, yeah, we had the Epstein story um, for years and they didn't allow us to pursue it for whatever reason. Right. And I don't know why that was. I think it's cause like Epstein was in cahoots with um, the royal family in Britain and they still wanted to have interviews with the royal family. I don't know. This is like, I, I, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. So I don't necessarily listen to what I'm saying, but it seems, I don't know. At, at some point, it's just like, 
I don't, there's, it seems like, again, you're the one that's touting the conspiracy theory because the overwhelming amount of evidence suggests that he was killed. Right. But you're, you know, so I don't know. Just you, real quick, so I know about the, like, because you brought him up. You guys see Ricky Gervais's, uh, oh, yeah. Golden, was it Golden Globes? Is that the thing he did recently? Yeah, yeah, Golden Globes. That was freaking awesome. Uh, He's hilarious. I like And he game. brought that up, too, right? It was Jeffrey Epstein. He was yeah. like, you guys are all friends with him, so I know you don't want to hear me joke about it, but like, and like everyone in the crowd, if you watch, I believe it was Jeffrey Epstein. That, yeah, yeah. Like, he had a lot of connections to the. He to mentioned Harvey Hollywood. Weinstein to Harvey Weinstein. Is that his name? Harvey. Maybe yeah. The guy who was the Hollywood mogul dude who was canceled. Oh, maybe it was him. Is that? Who I think he mentioned? he mentioned both. He mentioned okay. both. Either way, yeah. you could see on the faces of the celebrities in the crowd because they would pan to him. They were like not laughing. <laughs> they oh, were yeah. like, yeah. most of them were Tom like, Hanks. Even Tom Hanks was like, oh my god. <laughs> no, I like. I like, like they let him go up there. I think it was hilarious because he started the thing with like, yeah, I'm not doing this again, so I don't give a fuck. So here I go. Uh, you know, I yeah, Ricky, and he just went at everybody. He's very against the grain. I like Ricky. He's very funny. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because we were talking about that. Like he, he just, he seems like one of those guys. Like, I feel, all right, another thing too. I think the, I feel like the comedians, the stand-up comedians, are like in a separate. They're outside of Hollywood, but they're together. I feel like a lot of the time because I feel like a lot of comedians say stuff like that. That's just like feel like, oh my god, did he really just make that joke? And then they get, you know, they get in trouble and whatever for it. They, like Dave Chappelle is another great yeah example of that. Dave Louis C.K. gets in trouble sometimes. Like I want Louis back, dude. Yeah, I did so. I wonder, but that's what I mean. Like, I think he's, he's really touring again, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah. He's hilarious. But I just wonder if sometimes, like, they're the ones who, like, they can get the truth out through jokes, and I wonder if they stand alone sometimes, like, outside of all the other Hollywood singers well, and actors and all that stuff. They just don't buy into the Hollywood group think right. or whatever, right? Because, I mean, that's what part of being a comedian is. It's, like, speaking truth to power and being edgy, right? Right. So if, um, if being edgy is speaking out against the prevalent cancel culture— that dominates the Hollywood elite or whatever, then they're going to do that. And I don't know. I'm kind of like against the whole like cancel culture thing. What, in is, a lot of what ways. is that specifically? I'm not sure what you mean by that. <sighs> I mean, you've heard that phrase, right? Cancel mm-hmm. culture? Really? No, you haven't heard the phrase heard cancel culture? Never heard that. He's uncultured. <laughs> it's, All I know uh, about is Illuminati. I mean, no, it's probably good because this means, you know, I'm spending too much time on Twitter. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> sure. it's just like the whole thing where like, People digging up a tweet from ten years ago and then using oh, that to say like, okay, no. "Oh, you said this really bad joke." Ten like Kevin them, Hart. Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah. Okay. Kevin I know example. what that is. I just never heard and the you term notice, applied and if to you it. You watched his last um, special on Netflix, Kevin Hart. Yeah. He's a very different comedian now. He's really? very like more tempered. More tempered, more to the kids. But if you watch Dave Chappelle's, Dave Chappelle doesn't care what you're saying. And there's so many people who try to cancel him because of that. Oh, he's too problematic. Oh, he's talking about this. Oh, he mentioned this. Dave Chappelle doesn't give a fuck. But there's so many comedians that are like that, and that's why I agree that they go against the grain. But Kevin Hart was affected by it and changed like... It's just stupid, dude. First of all, don't ever fucking bow down to the mob. And second of all, it's just... I feel like so much of it isn't... And look, I'm not... I don't know how widespread the cancel. I don't think it's like one of the se- most serious like societal problems. So I'm not saying it's no, like a huge issue, it's like, but I think it exists, you know. And right. I think that a lot of it's just done in bad faith, where you're just, um, you're you're taking the worst possible interpretation of what someone could have meant, and you're saying that's what you meant. And it's like, no, I was just joking, right. you know. And even if they did mean that in some bad way, it's like people change. Like you're gonna hold someone to like the worst possible thing that they said in some given instance, like. I have all kinds of politically incorrect thoughts that run through my head on a daily basis. So you're just going to say, like, oh, that thought is you. So now, for therefore, you're canceled. You know um, 1984 by George Orwell? Yeah. Big Brother and all that? Mm-hmm. It's the thought crime. 
That's what that is. It's a thought book. crime. It's called a thought crime. It's a thought crime. And the police, the thought police, uh-huh. if they find that you're thinking stuff like that, you're done. Yep. You're out. That's the worst interpretation of that That's thought. A great the thing didn't even leave your mind sentences you to death. Only Big Brother in this case isn't the a totalitarian government, but it's, it's, it's the Twitter mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Twitter audience. It's a good parallel. Damn. But what was Kevin like? Kevin Hart's joke. I, I didn't even. I don't know if I ever saw the tweet. Either. I think it, I, I, I'm going to butcher it, but it's. Uh, or I'm going to misremember some of the details, but it was about, like, his son. It was, like, a sp- supposedly a homophobia joke. It was. It was about, like, if my son's ever gay or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, my son ever, like, is effeminate or, like, gay. Like, I'm going to smash a dollhouse on his face <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't that. But uh, it was look it up for that, yourself. It was something of this. that nature. It was something of that nature. But it's just, like, obviously that's a fucking joke. Like, you, like, you think he's, like... <laughs> You really think he's gonna buy a dollhouse and, and then hit his, his kid with <laughs> like it? You think he's serious? Like he's kidding? Like what the fuck? What are we doing? What are we doing here? That's like, and that's all comedians. I know Ricky Gervais's like last stand-up. He had a bunch of jokes about kicking babies. Like I'm pretty sure yeah. he kicked a kid. Like he fake kicked a kid like four times on stage. Like it's like he obviously isn't kicking ki- kids around. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Right. I don't remember I don't know. you talked about the last podcast we were on. You were talking about how uh, comedians. Are the figures in society that push the boundaries of what's okay? It's right. right, they're the line. You talked, right, line. you right. talked about that. So I feel like I feel like comedians are necessary to do that. So when you have such a large cancel culture, mm-hmm. that people that are very offended by much minor things that are not than they were before, comedians continue to push it, and comedians are necessary to say we don't care what you're offended by. I'm going to joke about whatever I want to joke about, and obviously there's limits yeah. to it. But you know, when you have people like Dave or Ricky or all them, they really just do whatever they want. And right. although they have such a, they have probably a very large hate base. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, there's plenty they, of people. Every, there's I a can't lot stand of that. Exactly. Yeah, I can't stand that guy. But they're necessary. But yeah, if that's their role to find where the line is, well, sometimes they're going to step over the line. Of course. Right. So when they do, you can't cancel them because that's their job. Right. Right. Like there, I think there is a Pete Davidson from SNL. If you know mm, him. Yeah. There's an instance where he made like some joke about this. Uh, Republican Dan Crenshaw or whatever who lost his eye um, serving in combat and it was like an off it was an off color joke and everyone just kind of collectively agreed like I forget what the joke was but they agreed that like that was kind of over the line you know but the next week it was it was great because they had Dan Crenshaw come in and Pete apologized he's like hey sorry like you know I was just trying to be funny like I'm sorry you know and like and Dan Crenshaw forgave him and it was like a good moment where a comedian went over the line and, then, and we're like, right. hey, it's okay. We know you're trying to be funny. Yeah. You know, not like, get the fuck it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're done. <laughs> and then, dude, another thing, just on the cancel culture point, and I've, again, this is not an original thought. Most of this is just me parroting other things that I've heard. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, these people, or a lot of the people that'll just, like, say, like, if, for some off-color joke, you're canceled for life and there's no coming back. Sometimes these will be the same people who will say, um, like, look, if you've murdered someone and you've, served your time and your debt to society, then there was a way back into society. I was just about to bring back up the point about the rape thing we were talking about earlier, like with the with the Kobe thing. Right, right. It's, it's, so words, it's words, but not actions that are that are redeemable. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, that, like they'll say like, yeah, actions are redeemable. Like a lot, a lot of people say that. Like, and they're, you know, I mean, there are tons of cancels. Because uh, people change. Yeah, you know, people right? change. People, or people or they've served themselves. their debt to society. Like they did their prison sentence and now mm-hmm. we've agreed you can come back in and right. do to your, your role. And, you know, there are plenty of, um, I was watching a video of like a previous white supremacist who's now like de-radicalized people and now he's like kind of held up mm. as a hero. Right. So like we, there's a path back for them, but 
Someone makes an off-color joke, they're done. <laughs> yeah, but Kevin Hart's out. <laughs> How the fuck does that work? Yeah. Because that's also, like, that's true. part of it, too, with, with that kind of thing. Like, sometimes you have to be there to understand how to get people out of there. You know what I mean? Like, the, the a white supremacist who now de-radicalizes you know, sure. people. Like, the most, I feel like if you're going to be the most effective, you have to understand what they're, what they're in. You know, yeah. white supremacists, you have to understand what it's like to be one in order to get them to not be one, too. Right. So it makes that sense is, that that guy true. would be so good at it because he was it for a while. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with Alcohols Anonymous and all that. Most of the people who run those things used to be used to be addicted, facts. you know, it, right. or have the issues. So it's almost like it's a good thing, too, to let those people come back. And sometimes they, they give back to, you know, the community in a way that nobody else even has the ability to do. Right, but I feel like there's also a pressure to do that because your society pressures those people to turn their lives around and try and make good of it. Because if they don't, they're constantly reminded of their past. Of their past. So if you are somebody who was addicted to drugs at one point or alcohol or whatever, and you, you're <laughs> pressured to do that, and sometimes it's your own guilty conscience that pushes you, pushes you to do that. But at the same time, like, I don't know if you ever had those, like, assemblies in high school and stuff. People used to come back and, like, oh, you know, I was a drunk driver, killed a family. Classic high school assembly. And they're assembly. just talking yep. right there, like, yeah, I killed a family. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't drink. It's like, oh, okay. Great. Nice. But, I mean, like, you, <laughs> you see the point behind it. Yeah. But, Any questions? <laughs> right. right. And uh, oh, there's some really messed up people that came and did shit at my school. But um, I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like there's a, a sort of a pressure, which isn't a – that's also a good form of peer pressure is to turn your bad into good. But at the same time, for people who don't use their past bad experiences and return it, into a good experiences later in life, people who are dealing with the same thing, instead of doing that and they just sit back and just try to live their life, they're just reminded that they're a shitty ass person. And they yeah. don't do anything good for society and they did something bad in their past and you're defined by your past. So because we define everyone by their past, everybody tries to change their future. The, for those people. You know what I mean? I have all right, so if if you're doing anything else, I'm gonna go on a totally I'm gonna dovetail off Okay. Wait, one, one more comment. Yeah, you were yeah. talking about Pete Davidson. It reminded me how he crossed the line, right? Yeah. There's this one segment where this was early on in his uh, comedy career. He was doing, um, forget what that, uh, those little pubs that really famous for like New York comedians when they come out. But they all do shows. Comedy there, seller? Like, I think yeah, something like that's that. One of them. Something like that. I can't yeah, that remember. Is definitely one of, them. one of them. But um he was he it was he was like really young, he was like eighteen years old and and if you're listening to this you can go look this up. But he did a, his dad died in nine eleven. Yeah. And he just made a complete like transparent fucked up joke about nine eleven. And I don't I don't know if the joke was about his dad or just about nine eleven, but he justified the joke mm. by saying but my dad died in 9-11, so it's cool. Mm. And everybody's just saying, I'm, I'm watching this, and it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? Right. How could you just say that? <laughs> when How could you, when right. your dad died, but like, but it's cool because I guess he's making a joke about his own dad. Right, right. I mean, I guess, right. but, but I mean, that's another example. But comedians also have to be desensitized to their own bullshit. Yeah, they right, have to They have to say about their own shit, and some of, some of the, a lot of the stories and anecdotes that comedians give are exaggerated stories of their own experiences. So when they say stuff like that, and if it is offensive, it might be partially true. So they also have to be desensitized to their own crossing the line comedy. You know right, what I mean? Right. But anyways, kind of, it circles back to the Kobe thing in a weird way too, where the question there was, when is it appropriate to bring up right. Kobe's wrongdoings or whatever after he's passed? Mm -hmm. The question here is, when is it appropriate to joke about a tragedy? 
after it's happened. Right. Something like 9-11. Right. There exactly. Was, there was a lot of 9-11 jokes, like, right after 9-11, too, wasn't there? Like, not too long after uh, not too long. did something. Yeah. And they got in trouble a little yeah. bit because they were a little early on that stuff. Yeah. I want to. I could be wrong, but no, I think you're right. I do know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. SNL definitely did something. I I think like Rudy, the mayor, whatever, it came on. Um, There's another comedian too who I'm blanking, who was one of the first to like make a joke about it, and he just like kept doubling down. Oh fuck! I want to look it up now. I forget what his name is. He has like a, ah, he's like a really weird voice. Like I don't know, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Wait, you're talking about. About who? Just some comedian who was one of the first ones to joke. I'm going to try to look it up. He's one of the first ones to joke about 9-11 after 9-11 happened. Because everyone's just like, when is it okay Like yeah. to like... Or not even when is it okay to joke about 9-11, but when is it okay to just joke again? Like to yeah, laugh. Okay, that's what it was. Fair. SNL like, didn't that's air fair. that week for a few weeks yeah. after it happened. Because they were like, can we even make comedy right Yeah, not now? even about 9-11, just right, to just laugh in general. general. Yeah. 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 And I don't, you know... I mean, it's all subjective, I guess. Yeah. In terms of like, when's the right moment? Right. So yeah, going back to what we were talking about with the Alcoholics Anonymous and like people, you know, trying to fix their past and stuff. It reminded me of it. You guys know Breaking Bad, obviously, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You guys seen it? Mm-hmm. One of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. You know that scene? It's like in one of the later seasons, and it's the last time Jesse goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, and he has that really good monologue where he talks about. Mm-hmm. He's like he breaks down and he talks about how he's like, oh, so we're just supposed to accept our mistakes from the past and just move on like it's okay. Yeah. Just be, just because I do that doesn't make what I did right. It's right. one of the most interesting, I think it's one of the greatest acting scenes I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, he like breaks down crying. He, and he's like, big statement. He's like, it, he, dude, the scene is, is powerful because it, no, he brings it up is, a point it is, it is. because he contradicts the entire existence of Alcohols Anonymous. It's like, yeah, you come here to, to forgive yourself and feel good about, you know, to like accept who you are as a person. That doesn't mean what you did is fixed. You you know, you killed somebody like in in his instance, like three people had died because of him for some reason, you know, for whatever reasons it happened. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's a great point because it is. It's like, OK, you can't move on from those things unless you accept yourself because you can't fix the past. But at the same time, even if you move on, the past is still not fixed. You know what I mean? You still it's a really tough like I don't know his the viewpoint from that speech was so profound to me because nobody ever talks about that. Right. That's true. It's always you just gotta accept who you are and forgive yourself and move on. Some people might be dead though. You know that you that you they're not alive anymore because of whatever you did. Like you're just supposed to say I'm okay and everything's all right. Like that's I don't know. It was just a, one of those speeches that like I was like wow. <laughs> but how do you move on? Right, the only way to a lot. Of, otherwise, you live kind of like Jesse did in that show for the rest of the time. Is just he was uh, in a shithole yeah, yeah. for the rest of the for you, the rest of the show. And right. even when he gets put, like I don't know, I guess spoiler alert, whatever. If you haven't seen the show, but when he gets, he becomes the prisoner to those like bite that biker gang. He like accepts it because he's like, this is what I deserve. This is my time for what I've done. You know, and it's like right, okay. So we, you either have to go through torture yourself to make up for it, eye for an eye, right. or you just <laughs> accept it and move on. But the past still isn't okay. Like I don't know. It was just like a. I was like, wow, I <laughs> what the hell? Like, right. And he said that at an Alcohols Anonymous <laughs> club. Like, you know, all these people are trying to get better, and he just says that like that. So then do you think that we should or shouldn't? Do you think um, – I'm confused on your point. because I, I, I My point is, saying, but, is, is just presenting it. I don't have, a, I don't have oh, an okay. opinion on it because I don't know. In one way, I do feel like you have to accept yourself to move on because otherwise you're going to live in this hole for the rest of your life. Self-pity. But at the same time, yeah. what you did is still not right. You know what I mean? And people suffered for it. So – but, I but think, you can't. But you can't live your whole life not making mistakes either. Like it, 
Right. I don't know. It's so a then, tough. All right, so then that goes back to eye for an eye. For the people that go and return their dues to society by what they did in society, <laughs> they give back by doing the positivity. Right. Or in, doing in the time sense. or whatever. Doing the time. And I guess or, that's why eye for an eye makes the most sense to me. In the right. Is because it's like how else can you make up for your past? And that's what and you that's, can't go back. And that's know? what I'm saying because it's – and this remains true to a lot of instances in life, not just tragedies. Whether you fail a test or not, do you fail the test and say, all right, peace, I'm done, or do you learn from it and do better the next time? It's the same concept. Do you kill people from drunk driving, serve time, and then just live in pity for the rest of your life, or do you learn from it, give back to the people, and prevent further instances from other people doing the same thing? So do you do you go through it, say fuck it and get beaten down from it, or do you learn from it and, and give back? Right, so – and. Your, you know, the most logical right answer to that would be, you know, learn from it and hope you can prevent further ones. Right. It was just a really interesting point because it, it, I think for his character in that show at that point, he felt like there was nothing he could do to right the wrongs he had already committed. Exactly. You know. I want to bring a concept under the table to complicate things. Is this concept of a? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Devil. <laughs> you guys think you have it all figured out over there? <laughs> well, what? This? <laughs> Is this concept of a uh, moral luck and um. So just imagine two scenarios, right? One scenario is, you know, say someone's drinking and they drive home from a party and then they kill, they kill a child. A child runs off across the street, they kill him. Okay. In another scenario, um, someone drives home drunk, no child crosses the street, they sleep it off, go home, right? Okay. Or, or it doesn't, you don't have to be drunk. It could be you're texting and driving. Right. Or, or it could even just be like a fluke, right? It could, it could just be you're doing everything right, you're not texting. You're completely sober, and a child just happens to run out across the road. Um, and like, let's like say someone's like just five minutes ahead of me. And if I had been in their situation, I would have hit the child. But it just so happens that they they hit the child. So um, the, the, I'm not sure where this concept originates. The I'm getting it from an essay from uh, the philosopher Thomas Nagel. But he says like there's a, there's so much moral luck involved in these tragedies, right? Like so in that one case that person's life is like over almost like they could be in jail. You know, even if it wasn't intentional, even if they're sober, like they could be in jail for years. Right. But in another case, you just got lucky that that wasn't you. Right. right? Like, or going back to me looking at the phone while I'm texting. Right. It's like, I do that all the time. Other people do that too. And they end up killing people. And right. I've, in some sense, I've just gotten lucky. I've got, it's completely lucky that I'm not them. Right. Cause I could be them. So it's just when you, once you realize that a lot of these bad deeds are just, due to luck in a sense um i don't know it potentially changes how you view how we should go about punishing people i guess mm. maybe because it's like i could be them the only difference between that person who is texting and killing a child and me it's just is the child being yeah just just luck just right. circumstance so it's just i i don't know what the what where you to take that but it's just a weird phenomenon <clears throat> that i feel like people don't realize a lot like you know just so much of this is just about luck i disagree i'm not playing devil, i'm not playing devil's advocate i disagree that it's moral luck well partially I, I see your point but here's what i think of it i believe in fate and it's hard to say that you know oh you know when we <clears> kill somebody or when it's somebody who did nothing wrong and they just happen to have a child run across and they kill a child yeah what was the reason for that and i understand the opposite side to fate because obviously when it's hard to conceptualize everything happens for a reason but i believe in it uh because i don't necessarily that it's only uh, i don't believe that it's only moral luck but i think that 
the same way you said that you text when you drive or you have instances when you've looked at your phone, mm-hmm. people who do the exact same thing kill somebody. You're aware of that. Your knowledge of social media, your conscious makes you aware that that action that you do is the result of other instances where the same thing's going on, like ends up in a tragedy. So what I'm saying is you're given the chance to change it before it becomes a tragedy because you are aware that it happens, but just because it didn't happen to you this one time doesn't necessarily mean that you're lucky morally. It should be your own moral views to state you shouldn't do it because you know what can happen from it. It's no, the no, no, possibility no. of what happens. Is that what you're saying? Or am I not taking that the right way? Well, I just think you're wrong. Okay. I, I mean, I, the, the, we can change, I can change the example. I can, there, there can, there's someone who's just as aware of it as I am. Mm-hmm. There's someone who knows they shouldn't be texting in the same way, has all the same knowledge of social media in the way that you're saying, right. and they still kill the child. Right. So what's the difference between me and that person? I get, I'm, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm not saying that they're any less... Uh, morally compass than you are, but I'm just stating that I don't think that they were unlucky or that they're unlucky to kill somebody by texting and driving or drunk driving. I feel like it occurred because it was supposed to occur in those sequence of events. But well, it was supposed to. What does that mean? It was supposed to. It ended up happening that way, but you could have changed it by not doing it. So the same way we were talking about Kobe before, there were multiple instances that morning that I guarantee you that could have run differently, very small details that could have prevented that tragedy. But it happened in that sequence of events, which ended up in a tragedy. So the same way that you go into the car drunk, go into the car with your phone on, texting while you're at a stoplight or going through a green light, whatever, it happens in those events to occur in the tragedy. It wasn't because you were lucky that one day you were texting and then happened to kill somebody. It ended up in those sequence of events that you could have changed by not doing it. Yeah, but that sequence of events involves luck. That's what I'm saying. The intuition is like me who texting, looked down, didn't kill a child, goes home, and the person who does kill a child, the intuition is, in a sense, we're equally morally blameworthy. We both did the exact same things. Right. right? I looked at the phone, this person looked at the phone. Yeah. So in a sense, we're equally morally blameworthy, but that person goes to prison for years, Mm -hmm. and nothing happens to me. Mm Mm-hmm. So is that fair to that person? Or is it fair? Maybe should I be punished? Like, even though I didn't do it? I mean, I, I understand, you know, you have to take into account consequences. Like that, per- they killed a child. That's how it happened. Right. But it seems like, and yeah, the sequence of events was different, but we're both equally morally culpable. Mm-hmm. The only difference is just uh, happenstance. So then let's discuss the actual action of what you're doing before the tragedy, which is the morally... In like wrong thing to do, which is texting while driving. Uh, right. you, you're, you're, you're right. You both are equally in the wrong by the act of what you're doing, but just one person happens to kill somebody. Right. But what happens after they kill somebody in a car? They most likely will not get in a car for many years because they're traumatized, let alone when they get in the car. And, and they might be in prison. <laughs> well, right. But when they get out of prison, um, or it could be something more minor, but let's say they do get out of prison, they probably won't be in a car for a long time, they're traumatized, or they, if they get in a car, once they do, their phone's not even with them. Why? Because they learn from their experiences. But it takes them a very traumatic event to learn from their experiences. So will it take you to kill somebody while texting and driving for you not to do it? Or do you learn not to do it because of what other people, what it can end up and what you see it ends up happening? Either, maybe. I, I, I mean, if I'm wise, hopefully I'll learn from seeing other people killing people and being like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that, Cody. Right. But if I don't, then I guess I'll learn by killing someone. <laughs> but 
No, so, none of this. Okay, so let's say it's the day that Cody kills a kid. Now. <laughs> yeah. yes. I'm right. like, oh, that was bad. <laughs> now I get it. Oops. Trust me, it won't happen again, yeah. guys. <laughs> so let's say, so let's say, then you do learn from it before as something bad happens, and the next time you get in a car, you don't text and drive. <coughs> yeah. Who's to say that if you did, and you didn't learn from it, the next time you did, you would have killed somebody? Is that being morally lucky, or is that learning from other people? And it was fate that those sequence events occurred that you didn't. That you didn't. I don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're disagreeing. Yeah, say that's, that's just a, right. that's just like in terms of that's a chance. Like it could have just happened one time before. Like he could have hit a child the last yeah. time he decided he was going to text and drive. Like that's just that's okay. the luck. I'm not you making I mean? like all. I'm just saying that this is a thing. Like I'm not like I don't. I'm not, I'm not making any like bold assertions per se. I'm just saying like moral luck's a thing and it's weird and okay. I don't know. Maybe you could it could influence how you view punishment or moral blame or I don't know. People can well, take it in different ways. Say so let's talk about then destiny versus randomness, right? Moral luck is is more of a random right, thing sure. and a lot of people believe yeah. you know if you're religious a lot of time you believe, you know, fate and, and destiny and God and all that and then a lot otherwise most this people This is think what, it's by the way RJ, angle. this is what you missed the first day, the first week. We talked about uh, God or the non-existence of God, and Ooh, uh, a good one. and the problem of evil, whether moral evil is compatible with God or whether God has Ooh. a plan, which is more in the fate side of things. Well, yeah, I would say let's, we should let's do it now because you missed the discussion then. Yeah, this yeah. is your makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> my makeup. Well, no, I'm, I got <laughs> an A. I had a, Cody. <laughs> I had a failure. I had a basketball coach um, that I was really close with, and one time we were getting food, and he he explained to me how he doesn't believe in God, right? He's um, and he yeah. was telling me how he sees the world as everybody's just a bunch of ping pong balls, and just this, atoms in, in the void. Empty, it is in this empty space, and all that happens is they hit each other. <laughs> And like uh -huh. you hitting some like his ping pong ball and my ping pong ball had collided when we came together to work on basketball and it sent me in a different direction that would cause me to do whatever. And then I'll hit other ping pong balls and it's life is just a bunch of random by chance knocking of other ping pong balls into ping pong balls. And that's how your life goes. There is no set thing. Right. But then there's the other side of it, which is, you know, you were born with a with a career with a with a path and a destiny <laughs> and you're supposed to be exactly what you are at all times. What do you guys think? What's okay. are you in the Wait, middle of that, or are you one extreme or the other? What do you guys think? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? I do. I believe in a higher power. I don't know if I'm not. I'm not. Because if you have the fate perspective, you, you have to. Doesn't that assume some deity or divine yes. will or something? Yeah, I believe right? it would. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. how, who else is deciding what your destiny is? Yeah. I also. I, I mean, there's determinism, a, but that's different than like fate. Right. Like you could say, like, we, there's no God. We live in a physically deterministic world. We're all just physical beings, atoms in the void. So you could say the future is determined, but that's I feel like that's a different thing than saying there's a destiny or there's, a, there's yeah. Fate. I think destiny implies individuals. To I I actually right? determined future sounds that sounds like everybody's like it's the it, way you were saying how you uh, you were talking about a mix between the two. I feel like fate is the path that you take on your life, and it's it's partially predetermined because everything will happen for a reason, because one thing will, like you said, you'll clash into something that will lead you somewhere else and all that. But destiny is the guide that helps you along the way. So I don't think that we have a predetermined, already set career path in a way, but I do believe that fate, that everything now that go, is going on now occurs because of a specific reason that will later come up in life, and destiny is just helping guide you there. So I think it's a mix of the two, Okay, if so, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'm on the complete chaos, random yeah, end of the scale. You like the ping pong ball <laughs> thing? Well, ping pong. Yeah, I'm not sure more, if I like that analogy, but it's more in line with actually fate. I think no, because it's random. 
Well, there was no preset term at anything. Okay, Balls just hit yeah, each yeah. other and then whatever right, happens. Let me get, do you guys know the problem of evil argument? Let me give you the problem of evil argument. That's what we talk about. Ahead. So the idea, this is an art, a classic argument against God. So God is usually here in the philosophy of religion understood as an all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing being. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. argument goes like this. If God is all-knowledgeable, God would know how to eliminate evil from the world. Right. If God is all-good... God would want to eliminate all evil from the world. Right. And if God is all powerful, yeah. God would have the power to eliminate all evil from the world. Sure. And yet there exists so much fucking evil in the world. Mm-hmm. Therefore God doesn't exist. Right. That's or the that, or that he's not all, or knowing, that he's not all, or all powerful or all, right. all good. Yep. Right. Yep. I think it'd make more sense if there is one, which obviously there's no scientific proof of that. He's not all good. Cause like you said, before we talk about the matrix, there's got to be some suffering for there to be good. You can't just have all good, otherwise you wouldn't know what the good is. I feel like it'd be more like if if I was ha- if there had to be a god, I would say he probably wouldn't be all good. I don't know if there sure, is though. Sure, sure, but uh, so yeah, I guess you, the the proponent of the argument could accommodate that and say like, yeah, maybe there has to be some minimal threshold of evil, but it seems like there's still a lot of unnecessary evil, and it hooks up with the fate destiny point because you know just imagine some five year old who gets brain cancer. And dies. Mm-hmm. What's their destiny? Right. What's their what's what's their plan? Why why would God allow? You know, why if God exists, why would God allow something like that to mm. happen? What's the response? The, the only response that I've know. ever gotten, someone who believes in God, is just um, but that they die young. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it was just like God has die young. You've never heard of that, Jacob. Oh, that is a saying. That that is a saying. Yeah, you've never heard <laughs> applicable to children. Yeah, actually, <laughs> if anything, that's that the most applicable. Well, God has some. Well, it's usually just a hand waving. God has some bigger plan that we cannot right. presume to understand. I mean, one response to the problem of evil is like, well, you know, there's evil in the world because God gave us free will. You know, and and if you, look, if you give human beings free will, then they're going to do some evil things. But giving them free will, um, that's more valuable than not giving them free will and eliminating evil. The problem with that response is that it doesn't seem to account for all of the evil in the world, right? Evil, like people dying from natural disasters. Right. That has nothing to do with free will. Or the brain tumor example, that has nothing to do with free will, right? So so how do you explain that? And, and maybe it is, you know, again, you could say, well, yeah, no, there is some um, higher being that's created this world, but these properties that you're attributing to this being just aren't true. Like it's God's not all good or God's not all powerful, God's not all knowledgeable. And especially if there's a, you believe in the simulation hypothesis, it's like, yeah, there could be a creator to this world, but it could just be some hacker in the next dimension up or something like that. You know, so it doesn't necessarily need to be like this all knowledgeable thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. To me, that's an argument that undercuts the idea that we all have fate or destiny. That's the one that cuts it out for you. Is the, the well, not the one, but evil. just one consideration. Okay. I mean, what what is the fate of someone who dies of brain cancer at five years old? That's true. I, I, yeah, I feel like I, fate I, usually ends up getting applied to people who like do great things. Like right, that, yeah, that was their fate. It's easy to you say know, that. It's like, oh, right. you can see like every step of the story led to that and led to that. <laughs> it's just like, okay, but you're neglecting all the people who just die miserable, horrible right. deaths. Right, who were slaves their whole lives. You know? Right, right. I see, I see so have I converted you? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing what you're saying. But I feel like, um, I feel like fate is not necessarily where you end up fate is the concept that everything that you're doing leads to another action and i i that's not really in a chaotic view that's more of in the sense of like 
kind of like you said, everything leads. You can trace it back to something and different. And that goes back to Mr. Nobody, which is my favorite movie. Where the whole concept, oh, I love that movie, dude. My favorite movie. The whole concept of the I've movie is where you he goes back to three different times in his life, right? Because right? he's like the oldest living mortal on Earth. But he goes back to three different times in his life where there was a major decision he had to make. And he each in each instance, they talk about two decisions uh-huh. in each of those three points in his life that he had to make. And in each of those decisions of those three points, one decision led to a completely different path of life when the other led to a completely opposite in all three instances. And this can go true to like five different decisions you have to make or whatever. But whether it be minor or major, you know, me choosing to sit in this room or this chair in the classroom or me eating this food instead of that food that day can dictate how the rest of your life goes. And that's drastic, but it's true because it's the whole butterfly effect thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just one small thing can change it. And I view fate that way. I don't think I'm born to be a mechanic. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm born to be whatever, but I think that whatever my actions have, have a direct like another door opens because I did that one action. And then I go through that door or that door and that opens another set of doors. It just continues to grow and it continues to change the path that I take in life. And if I did one very small thing yesterday, I wouldn't be here or vice versa. You know what I mean? So, and that's where I partially disagree with the moral luck because I don't think that, I don't think luck doesn't exist, but I think that, you know, you doing this one thing that day didn't mean that you didn't have to text while driving, but maybe you didn't have to even get in a car if you did something different earlier that day or later earlier that week. Or I don't know. You follow what I'm saying? So I feel yeah. like it all correlates in that way, and that's what I view fate as. So I guess I would I just I, I guess I would just uh, be hesitant to call that fate. That seems to take the character of determinism to me or something like that other than, okay. than fate. But, uh, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you with the whole butterfly effect thing. And I think, like... Um, I feel like I might have mentioned this in the last podcast too. Um, but I definitely talked about Mr. Nobody we, in the last did podcast. We? 100% I think like we talked about the butterfly that. effect. Yeah. But just how like, you know, in reflecting back on your life, there are certain moments which stand out, which seem like the turning points. It's like, oh, if I had done that in that moment, then the whole other timeline would have happened. But I feel like if you look at your life on like a, at a in a fine-grained manner, every single moment is just as important or has the same butterfly effect as any other moment. Literally, right, literally every single Right, right. it's like you can exist. you can hone in on the moment where you met your wife, and it's like, dude, if I hadn't been there, then I wouldn't have met her. But it's like, well, yeah, but you wouldn't have met her if you hadn't done that thing right before that, and you hadn't done that thing right before right. that. So every single moment is as significant as any other moment in terms of like right, right now, whatever happens after this podcast will dictate the rest of my life. Like that'll set me on my journey for the rest of my life, right? And, sure. and you know, even just like really small decisions like would just seem very insignificant can just direct you onto a different timeline right but i feel like that theory is put forward in order to make you think that way because if you if you acknowledge that something it it allows you to do two things when you acknowledge what the butterfly reflect is and what it does it allows you to one put more significance into more minor things and not just see them as insignificant. That's a good point. So that way you focus more on the little things in life, you know, obviously. But but also, too, the way you just said, how you can leave this room after this podcast and it'll dictate whatever you do for the rest of your life. That's pretty fucking insane. But it's true, but it allows you to be more thoughtful of what you do. Instead of just going throughout the day as a robot, you think about more about your actions because you're thinking... All right, if I eat an apple, that's going to change my career path. 
It's ridiculous, but it's true because every moment is as significant as the next. So those theories are put forward to make you think that way. Not yeah. necessarily that they're true or not, but I mean, I personally believe in it, but whether or not they're true, it at least puts more of a thoughtful manner into what you do about your daily life. Yeah, and I I think that, uh, you know, there can be dangers in, in thinking about it too much too because, you know, right. there's this problem of counterfactuals where like you can never see into that other timeline of what would have happened. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make a guess, like there are all these other close possible worlds where you did something different, but you can never truly know like what would have happened if you did something different, you know? Yeah. So it, it is at a certain point useless to get too hung up on, on thinking about those counterfactual scenarios. Right. I think. Yeah, um, I just, I, I like smiled when you said that because I literally do that. I do that too much. Like I actually find myself like going off. What if like, it's like a lot of time idea. I run into people I know on campus. And to me, it's like, oh, if I had been four seconds later, I just wouldn't have seen that person. And, like, it's sometimes right. it's some stupid, like, you just dap them up and you walk away. But other times it's, like, a conversation and then, oh, what are you doing tonight? And then all of a sudden you have new plans because you yep. walked down Main Street at uh, 123. You know? It's, like, it's just crazy. And it's all – but that's also part of the reason why I think sometimes it is just chance. Just your ping pong ball. Hit that other person's ping pong ball. At the right time. I don't know. It's There are no answers, right? There's no actual... I mean, <laughs> no. there's scientific answers, but in terms of this philosophical life and why things happen, nobody really actually knows. It's all it's all <clears> conjecture <throat> and, and beliefs and theories. And and to me, like, the... There's no... I don't know. even find the concept of fate appealing. Because for me, it's like... Yeah, then you have no control. Yeah, you have no control. You're just kind of condemned to a particular future or like the you know some people who are really religious they're living out god's plan for them and that gives them a, a bunch of excitement now i don't want to be a slave to god's plan <laughs> you know i, I want to be able to i want to have the freedom and autonomy to create my own story right and that's why i like existentialism uh so much because the, uh, the whole idea there is existence precedes essence right like uh, we don't exist to fulfill some essence we exist and it's up to us to determine our own essence right um I just, that's more empowering to me, right? There's more freedom in that. Right. Uh, I think the ultimate, I think the ultimate, like, thing, I've always, I always, like, think to myself what the whole point of all human interactions are, you know, because I'm a psychologist and whatever. But, like, I think it always comes down to freedom in the end, the motivation behind what most people do, getting money, power, all of it's just for freedom. When you have the money and the power, you can do whatever you want. And I think most people, when they can't do whatever they want, that's when they feel depressed and, you know, they feel anxiety, they feel lonely, they feel like, Life's not going anywhere. It's because you have no control. But the people who have the most control, you know, the, the leaders of the world, the people with all the money, they're the ones who feel the most alive because they can do whatever they want. They love that feeling. They love that feeling to, you know, to be able to control others and the people around them, to control themselves, do whatever, you know, on any given day they can fly to this random place and do this random thing. Most of that most people can't because they have to go to their nine to five cubicle job and they're, you know, they have all these requirements. I just think that happiness is freedom. And in the end, and a lot of time, that's what money can buy. Money can't buy happiness, but mm. I think a lot of the time, it's the freedom that's the the real, you know, attractant. I mean, obviously, there's things like you need social interactions and all that because as a human, you need certain things to feel that happiness. But I think freedom is one of the biggest ones, and it's not talked about a lot. Yeah. Most people, I mean, most people talk it talk about it in terms of power and money, but I think it's really it's freedom and acceptance. Those are the two things you, you look for. Because I know we talk, we even talked about in social psych the two things that you go for like the two things you aim to accomplish in social interactions are acceptance or truth. Those are the two things you engage in social interactions for. It's either to be accepted by others or to understand the truth about the world. 
and I don't know. I think there's it's that, and then there's freedom. Those are the two like those are the two pillars of what you're looking for in life. And I know I I feel that way because the times when I feel like I have to sit down and write a paper, I'm I'm not I'm miserable. I don't want to sit here and do this right now. I want to do something else, you know. And if I had the money to, I wouldn't have to be in school and I could go do whatever the hell I want, you know. So yeah, but that's what's motivating you to do it. Right. 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 Okay. Right. And what motivates me to sit down there and write that paper and pass that class is so I can make money later, so I can be free. Exactly. Exactly. A thing that we're talking about in my class is just uh, how the emergence of new technologies force us to consider the kind of trade-off between freedom and public safety. Um, Because we all agree that we should we should give up individual freedoms for the sake of public safety, right? Like in a sense, the most this is a kind of a thing I keep going back to. Um, and the place that we're most free is the battlefield. I heard a soldier from a documentary saying that once because like, you, there are no rules. There are no laws, right? Like complete freedom would be being able to kill somebody. That's true. But we agree that, no, we should have some limits on freedom be, for the sake of public safety, to defend our individual rights. And, um, you know, so like you're the most free in a battlefield. You're the least safe. Where are you the most safe and the least free? A maximum security prison. You know, so one thing that we talk about in my class is how new uh, the fear that new technologies might um, be precipitating what you might call a maximum security society, where we slowly give up our individual freedoms for the sake of public safety and how new technologies constantly force us to consider this question. I mean, think about it with a whole slew of different technologies, right? 3D printing of weapons. If you're a Second Amendment person, should that be allowed? Is it my freedom? to do that, to print right. a weapon, but for the sake of public safety, if you have a, a plastic gun that doesn't have a metal detector and can bypa- or it can bypass the metal detectors at airports, that seems really dangerous, you know? Um, or another example that <clears throat> I talked about is autonomous cars. Autonomous cars become ubiquitous in society. The statistics clearly show that when manually driving a car, there's a much greater probability of killing someone. Well, at that point, there's the conversation about whether we should make manually driving a car illegal, right? Because it's just so much more dangerous. Right. But then someone on the freedom side might be like, no, like I have the freedom to drive a car. Right. And then someone might be like, no, for the sake of public safety, you have to give up that freedom on the, on the highway. You know, so there's, right. co- there's constantly that, like debating this. Where's that line? Where's that line? And that's so tough because, right, the ultimate freedom being that you can murder is such a weird concept because nobody in their right mind, you know, is like, oh, I wish I could murder. You know? oh, God. God, this fucking society. I guess for the sake of public safety. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you're right. It is the battlefield. No rules. No, no rules. Yeah, just, well, yeah, no rules. Like, no that's rules. just, I don't, and that's like the first rule, you know, don't kill your. Yeah, you're not constrained by anything. Yeah, and I don't know, right, like, I would, I would rather give up the right to drive a car if the, the non-manual car guarantees I'll never die in a car crash. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to die in a car crash. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, right, it's like, well, do I want to give up my fate or my freedom to drive a car to the machine? What if the machine malfunctions? Now I have no control over the fact that I'm about to get in a car crash. At least if it's manual, it's, it's something I did. Or at least I had, you know, I had the chance to try and stop myself from getting in the crash in that way. You know what I mean? The same thing with, like, robots or AI. It's like if we're going to let them be part of society, all of a sudden they decide to turn on us and we have no way of fighting back. Now I have no chance to survive. You know what I mean? I'd rather them not exist so that I know at least if – you know, I can fight other humans off, but can I fight a robot off? You know, like, I don't know. So it's the same. It's that power. It's giving up that freedom again every time. It's so like, then your theory is that we shouldn't because that wouldn't make us happy because we're giving up our freedom? Yep. So you're saying don't let autonomous cars be a thing. Don't well, let robots. Right. Well, no, that's I guess what I'm talking about is the line there because, like, I would consider that. 
that's a freedom I'm willing, right. I may be willing to give up, but there's other freedoms that people aren't. And for example, guns is the best one to, for relevance in terms of today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that once again, that amendment was made when there was muskets and it took you five minutes to reload and you had time to calm down between when you decided you wanted to shoot somebody and you need to reload the gun, you know, it takes you a minute or two to reload the gun and you're like, oh, maybe I don't need to do this. But guns now are automatic, so you'll do it out of emotion. It's an antiquated law, yeah. It is, it's tough. So. And we all agree that there are certain guns that are just so dangerous that for the sake of public safety, we shouldn't Maybe right. be allowed to have, like, rocket launchers, right? I was say, like, RPGs, are man? I, you know. So, like, no one's debating, even the people that are really uh, stringent on the Second Amendment, who are, or, or people who really like that Second Amendment, presumably even they'll agree, like, yeah, no, Maybe not rocket launchers, launcher. yeah. <laughs> so now, like, the debate's just like, okay, well, where's the line? Should AK-47 or whatever? But I don't know. Fuck, I'm talking about with guns, but, you know, yeah, like, should right. we then ban those? Down, right, then it's not handgun, you know, maybe just all guns, and then, you know. Do you guys have any views on that, Second Amendment? Um, That's another one where I'm kind of... It comes down to the freedom thing again for me. I'd rather oh, have... Yeah, it comes down to Like, the if they're going to have guns, if the if the bad guy, you know, the criminal who's going to rob me has a gun, I would like to have a gun. No, I'm chill Even with playing that. Field. I'm good with that. I'm not good with the Second Amendment. You're not you're you're not good with it. Nah, I'm not really that good because I think it's antiquated. I don't think I think, think it, it gets old. I think it's too feasible to get a gun, and I and I don't think necessarily the issue is with with the amendment itself of being able to bear arms. The, the right to rebel against your government should always be there. Right, Definitely. right. But I I don't think by the, which means the I issue guess is, is the issue is not I don't have with the amendment. It's the feasibility to it to uh, get a hold of a gun. I think the um, the test in order to get passed, in order to get one, is the problem. Isn't just the ability to so, bear arms. Okay, then what do you say about, you know, the, the great classic argument for that is like, okay, take away all the, the guns from the people who have them legally, and now you just got a bunch of people with guns who, you know, who did it, who have them illegally. Yeah, because there's like, it's what, the test 300 million about. guns on the ground or something? No, yeah. it's it's about, it's about... Uh, the background test, checks? Yeah, it's so about you, background checks. The so test you think psychological, having, mental test, cognitive no, no, okay. test, all that. That's what I'm, that's well, what no, I'm you, talking about. But you about. can be pro-Second Amendment and say, like, the oh, yeah, I agree be that we should have much more stringent background checks, but I don't think we should throw away the Second Amendment. I, I, yeah. Did I say I was going to... You said, nah, you okay, don't wait, like the Second maybe Amendment. You're, all right, you're, okay, do you mean I, No, I don't. Right, that's what I'm referring to. I don't... You're trying to take my guns away? I don't disagree. Mega. This is a mega podcast right now. I don't disagree with the right to bear it. I just disagree with the means of feasibility to get a gun. I, yeah. yeah, and no, and that's fair too. It's for me a lot of time. It's just putting my life in someone else's hands. I'd much rather always have my life in my own hands, the freedom to save myself. And a lot of people would can. agree. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm exactly. not. I'm not disagreeing with that either. I just think there's a lot of guns in the hands that it shouldn't be, yeah. and that comes down to the tests you take. And there's multiple tests that you should take. Yeah. And that's Definitely. what I think. But then is, once again, you know, you can't test people have them illegally. They already got them. You know. Then there's that. It's just it sucks that there's always these these like. Yeah. I don't it's really never have, that simple, you know? It's, yeah, it's not. I don't, I don't have any, like, strong views when it comes to the gun debate. Like, it's another area where, like, if someone gives me a really good argument, I e- could easily have my mind changed. But right. I do tend to kind of sympathize, and I know this is kind of like the classic pro-Second Amendment argument, but I sympathize with the notion that, um, you know, it's, it's good to have good guys with guns that can stop bad guys with guns because the bad guys, if they really want a gun, will be able to get it given the the fact that there are so many guns just on the ground already, right? Like, there's that recent instance where someone was shooting up a church or tried to shoot up a church in Texas, and then someone else had a gun in the church, and they immediately... They they, they killed him, right? So, I don't know. Right, that's always the... That is, right. I just... I I tend to lean towards that way. But, uh... That's fair. Again, I'm willing to have my mind changed. Do you know Jeff Jeffries, the comedian? 
Is his name? Jim Jeffries. Jim Jeffries, yeah. the Australian guy. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. super against the guns. Really? If you watch his stand-up, it's freaking hilarious. And you're like, really? oh, maybe we don't need guns. Really? It's absolutely, it's like, it's freaking hilarious. But he, like, obviously is going to tailor his comedian, like, his jokes towards, like, not having guns. Like, there are other sides to his jokes that are, could contradict what he's saying. But it's just right. Like, if you heard a, a compelling enough argument that entertained you or convinced you enough, you sure you would switch. And I agree. I just, I a lot of it always comes down to, like, I'd rather have... It in my own hands. The last thing I want is to show up, you know, some horror tragedy, be in the movie theater where that guy came in thinking he was the Joker and I don't have a gun. Like, mm-hmm. I just have to sit there and hope he doesn't hit me. Like, right. are you kidding me? You know? Yeah. What are some other issues where um, but you just don't have a view, but, like, you don't know what to think about it? Like, another one for me that I was thinking about recently is this uh, Israeli-Palestine Thing. That's a that actually was going to be one I would Trump, Trump, like Trump just uh, came out with like this like peace plan or whatever I, I don't know the details of it but to try to like um, alleviate some of the tensions between the Israeli people and the Palestinian people but that's that's something where there are people that I trust on both sides of that debate who just tell me completely different things like there'll be some like people who are listening to who are just like hey the Israelis they're committing genocide against the Palestinians you don't like genocide right. I'm like, no. <laughs> and then the other, then I go to the other person, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. The Israelis have been trying to seek peace forever, and it's the Palestinian people who are the terrorists, and, and, and they're right. the ones who actually don't have a claim over this land. So, like, you're, you're against terrorists, right? And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's just like I have t- people telling me different things. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? That's, I have no idea. No, that's I don't know. One of the ones I'd have to go over there. You know, and like, and just like study the, the history, yeah, or talk to the people yeah, that are actually yeah. involved. Like, I feel like American press is so biased on that subject because we want to be over there for the oil. Uh-huh. That you can't get any. That's true. Though. You can't get. Trump anything. just admitted it the other day with the oil. That's the thing about Trump. He'll just he'll just like say the thing that you're not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, that, He's just like, yeah, no, not. we have troops over there. They're they're covering. They're protecting the oil. Maybe we should take it. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's no, but I agree. That's one of those ones where like anything that's like media based now. I'm getting. I'm in um, mass communication systems. It's a comm class. One of the like intro comm classes. Yeah, and it's all about media literacy and like knowing what sources are legit and what to believe. Like by the end, I should be able to be super media media literate. You know. Um. But what the class is, is making me think is just every time I see shit on social media or I see shit on mainstream media, don't believe it. I don't believe it. Most of this, it's all sponsored by private corporations now. Media, like it's mm-hmm. like the government. I think is one percent of the funding for media now. It's one percent. Mm-hmm. That's how much money the government puts into it. The rest is private corporations funding what information comes your way, which means they can be biased on who's telling you what whenever they want in terms just for profit. So, so basically. Up. Twitter can decide, like, oh, we're going to actually filter all tweets out that are on this side of the argument and just push this uh-huh. side of it instead because they're owned and by Apple and, yeah. and, and Apple wants this to be what the, the, the public sees. It's right, just right. back to the big – that brought, that 1984 has, like, got to be one of my favorite books because it, it, that's what it feels like to me. It feels like Big Brother yeah. to me is when you know the corporation – Big Tech Big Brother. Big Tech Brother. <laughs> yeah, Big Tech Brother. <laughs> doing, they can just show you whatever they want and you're going to sit there and believe it and then people are going to – you know? Then, yeah. But the trick is in, in that book, they don't have the power to say what they want. The the genius behind what it is now is you can say what you want about it and think you're contributing, but in the end, you have no actual say. Mm-hmm. It's actually genius because if you go out on Twitter and say your side and get people to comment and all that, it's like, oh, I, I'm making a difference. I have the freedom to say these things. You don't do shit. 
Mm-hmm. You're one of the you're one of the people in the machine. You're not a, up at the top of the corporations funding yeah. what gets said. Mm-hmm. Right. You're you're pointless to them. You're they don't even care about you. They don't. It's it's that's that simple. Why would they? There's so many of us, us yeah. you know, right. lowly peasants in the middle class now, or lower class. But you know, it's it's more middle class because they have access to the internet. A lot of the, the so, lower class people don't. So, so about that, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of instances where have you ever come across a story or a headline that you're almost surprised it didn't make major news. Oh, all or, the time, and it's dude, it's that, very yeah. shocking to see because that it, you're, it happens on a daily. What time, you're talking about, dude. Jacob, it literally happens on a daily. How much news that should be top of the line, everybody should know, is just not covered. Dude, I was, is not mentioned. It's insane. Go ahead, Jacob. You're no, having like sorry. a stroke over I, there. It's just, <laughs> I was literally ahead. just. This is what I've been thinking about with the Trump coverage over the past two and a half years and the impeachment stuff, and it's just all Trump twenty four seven. It's just like. It's a fucking complicated world. Like, mm-hmm. isn't there shit happening other than Trump? Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. what Trump tweets? Right. But, like, Trump tweets something that's kind of naughty, and then <laughs> and the mainstream media just will just spend hours on it, like, dissecting it, and they're like, does this mean he's a white supremacist? Do, do we know he's a racist now? <laughs> and, I'm, and then, like, meanwhile, they're, I'm just like, there has to be, there's other stuff happening in the world. Like, how many crazy events that should have been covered haven't been covered over the past two and a half years or whatever, yeah. three years, because we just living in Trump's fever dream, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there's something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, with the the big tech point that you were talking about, well, that kind of gets into the debate over whether these are their platforms or publishers, and this is like a new debate that's been kind of cropping up. Like some people have said, like, look, these big tech social media companies, they've accumulated so much power that these platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, they're kind of akin to like the digital public square, Right. And in the public square, you're allowed to say whatever you want. Right. Freedom of speech. But so if it is if if they're really more of a platform um, and it is kind of like a public square and that's how powerful they are, then they shouldn't have the right to censor speech. But if they're just a private company, a publisher, then they can censor whoever they want. So there's this debate now, given the immense power that they wield over society, whether they have kind of transformed from publisher into platform and whether they should be allowed to censor people. Because, you know, the conservative argument is all these big tech companies are centered in Silicon Valley. They're all living in a liberal bubble. So that ends up manifesting itself in them, whether wittingly or unwittingly, censoring conservative points of view, right? No, so that that point exactly is kind of what brings me up to this next topic. Um, and I was going to go into it earlier, but we kind of went on some like a really good conversation anyway. Um, the whole like think for you know think for yourself. You don't have to listen to everybody else says. I should watch the movie again and, and see if I actually really appreciate the movie because I did the first time. But the point I wanted to make was that the people who tell me like people you know say things to you about what they think about the movie. I went and saw it a second time in theaters with one of my friends, and he hadn't seen it yet. He was the only one actually. There was three of us, and he was the only one who hadn't seen it yet. The Joker. The Joker. Yeah, me, the other two, me and the other kid had already seen it once. He hadn't seen it yet, and he sat in the theater on his phone the whole time. And I noticed it because he was sitting right next to me. I watched kid, him kid who hadn't it. seen it okay, yet. Okay. And then afterward, he told me about how he didn't really like the movie very much. Interesting. And at the time, I was like, oh, like, debate about it. Like, I didn't really think about the phone thing, but the more I th- think about it, yeah. the more I noticed. All right, and this is the, t- the I'm going to dovetail now into phone use. Mm. Um, the oh, more I, like I sit around and I and I notice things. I'm, so I just showed RJ a book before we got back on here. It's called My, like Mindfulness on the Go. It's not some big bestseller, but my parents got it for me as a stocking stuffer like yeah, for yeah. Christmas. Yeah. And it's just a little handbook where that like 
tells you about how to be more mindful. Like, you know, just appreciate the moment, appreciate yourself, like life. And I could talk about mindfulness for hours, by the way. I, um, the book is kind of changing my perspective on how I live, you know, daily. Um, but the reason I want to talk about it is because now I'm starting to notice how much people sit on their phones. Because what I'll do in class, like for a great example, and even that, like watching a movie, but being on your phone the whole time, like he has no right to have an opinion about the movie. He didn't even engage in it the whole time. The other night, <laughs> we, me and my friends wanted to watch Revenge of the Sith, classic movie, loved the movie, mm-hmm. sat down, two of us actually watched the movie, the other two the other two were on their phone the whole time. And it's like, well, you're not watching the movie, what are we doing? You're not watching the movie. And it's, and it's the same, I'll have the same kind of interactions with people in general. We'll go, oh, let's chill, like let's go hang in, you know, in this person's room, be like, all right, pull up. Everybody's on their phone. We're not even talking. You know, there's music playing and we're all scrolling through right. Instagram and memes are being sent to our group chat, whatever. But I don't fucking care. Like, we can do this when we're not together. You can send me memes, you know? I don't know. And then with that, like, I've just been thinking about, you know, people, when you watch movies, you're not, you're on your phone. What the hell? I go to class and everybody's, <clears> I mean, and that's just, that. this is social norm. You know, you're in class waiting for class to start and you're sitting there on your phone waiting for the professor to start. Oh, but, dude, the other day in class... Everybody <laughs> that was just teaching and people five feet in front of me are just blatantly on their phones. I'm like, it's like, I'm it, like, yo, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I'm like, look, I'm not like a stickler, but like, uh, hi. <laughs> like, act like you want to be in life here. Right now. <laughs> You're paying money to be here. I just, it, it's actually starting to like really annoy me that, that this is what, social interactions are becoming i'm actually right. in our psych we're in psych research methods we have to do a research pro- like a research study this semester as our big project i'm doing it on how social media affects your social interactions we're gonna do like it's just we can't do much it's, it's just gonna be a, it's just gonna be a survey that kids take and we're gonna look for you know what their opinions are and whatever and i would totally do more if i could but i want to know how these how this affects you yeah, i was at the bar i went to the bar last night 60 percent of the people in that bar are on their phone oh it's crazy there's this one photographer it's, who like took a photo of a bunch of people on their phones, and then they just uh, got rid of the phones. They made the phones invisible, so it's just a bunch of people looking at their hands. <laughs> they just so look. Stupid. They just look insane. It's yeah. like, Oh my god! And I just it's it's blowing my mind. And now that I'm actually stopping, like I don't go on my phone when I walk anymore. Like that's one like little niche thing that pisses me off when I see it is people who walk and go on their phone. I try to do not do that now. I just put music on, I put it in my pocket, and I don't touch it until I sit down again. But even that, like I try to yeah, sit down, I, do I sit down and wait for class, and I try and pull that book out because I want to. I want to be more mindful. I don't want to be. Yeah. I don't know. It's just now that I'm I'm like almost coming out of that bubble of of the f- smartphone. I, at least I want to. I'm yeah. starting to notice how much everybody else is in it. Right. And it's and it's almost infuriating a little bit. It's, well, it, I shouldn't get mad. It's you, you live how you want. But it's almost like it's it's like wow. I don't know. It's it's baffling. Like you said, at that picture that if the phone's not there, it's just a bunch of people <laughs> staring at their dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? In that chair, they're just sitting back and they're staring at their crotch the whole time. It's like what the hell is. I don't know. Yeah, and it's, it's the, what it is, it's the eradication of the capacity for attention. You know, like we're all living in this uh, attention economy where you have all these things trying to get your attention at all times. You know, Netflix, all, the, all, these, all, all these big tech social media companies just vying for your attention. You know, that's, what, that's why you have Snapchat streaks or on Netflix, it'll immediately have the next episode ready to go. Like, don't you right. fucking go anywhere, you little bitch. <laughs> yeah. You're going to stay and watch this whole season. So and let me do. All right. So let me input on, on what you were talking about, because this will be crucial for your study. So um, 
I don't know too much on this, but I, I'm aware of a study that was conducted on our ability, because there's a portion in your brain that uh, you're innately born with to understand, remember, and acknowledge faces, mm. like facial features, mm-hmm. and understand, like recognize, like um, mixed emotions, like emotions on your face. Like I can understand that you raising your eyebrows and whatever the way, like you purse your lips, you're angry, whatever. I can understand that because as a human, we're social creatures. We're innately born with this. There's a portion. There's literally a area in your brain that you're born with that conducts these like uh, these experiments in your own mind that makes you recall faces, facial recognition, recognition of emotions on different people's faces. Mm-hmm. So that way you can understand when somebody else is angry and another person is angry because it's the sh- the shared emotion right, and the right. shared like motions of the muscles on your face. Yeah. So there's a study done on the effect on that portion of the brain tied into your uh, technology use. And it shows that now people are being born with a much more insufficient way of recognizing those features because we don't have face-to-face interactions nearly as much as people before us. us. Mm. So we are literally losing the ability to have face-to-face interactions, be socially coherent, to understand emotions. We're losing that conscious, like subconscious ability to do that because of how much time we're not spending in front of somebody else's face rather than on a device. And that can be crucial to your study because it might not just be social media. It could be just any a, a use watching videos watching anything just that contributes and it's crazy when you read this study because it's like jesus christ this one this one phenomenon of technological advancements is changing our like biological structure in our brain yeah. we're losing the ability to be social creatures because of it that's almost insane to think about but isn't it isn't it weird too how like you say lose the ability to be social creatures, but the whole reason the phone is it's so attractive be is because right. you're constantly getting social attention. Exactly. Snapchat, Instagram, right. Twitter. <laughs> but it's it's not the same. It's, it's a, a different, different kind. kind. It's a different kind, right? It's fucking wild. It's, it's like it's it. like a it's like a it's like a stupid joke. There's so many paradoxes like associated with technology and the internet and that is. So I want to make two points here. The, the first, just circling back to the attention point that I was just making, is like for me. It, like I can just I can see in my own behavior how it's just completely like destroyed my ability to attend to something like even you know even when I'm like it's so hard for me to just like sit through a movie or to, or, or to um to sit down and like do a writing assignment you know yeah. without checking you know I'll, I'll always go sorry I just got an email um I'll always go you know, I'll, I'll write like a paragraph and then I'll say, yeah, you know what? You've earned like a good five minutes of mindlessly scrolling Twitter. Right. Like, good good job, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like how, like how inefficient am I being without even realizing it? How inefficient are we all being without even realizing it? Like in a world where we didn't have all of this content at our fingertips, it's probably a lot easier for, I mean, not still not easy, but a lot easier for people to just like sit down and do an assignment. Like now it's just like fucking, like I, I'm trying to like, reprogram my mind to be like all right cody like and i'm horrible at it but you know it's like can you just like sit down without looking at your phone for an hour and just write right and like i don't know if i can right you know it's really scary that's one thing the other thing is you know you can imagine this kind of problem of what you might call social disharmony what we're talking about like everyone no in the real world everyone's already in their own kind of bubble 
on their phone. You can imagine that you can imagine taking that to a more extreme degree with the birth of of, of new technology. So, so um, one thing that's been talked about in relation to facial recognition technology is we could be entering a world where um, facial recognition technology is ubiquitous and you have personalized advertising to you um, everywhere you go. Like, you know, like online. Um, wait, so, so like online, like you'll have like these algorithms feeding you content that they know you like. Right. So you could, we could enter a world where you enter a store and there's some facial recognition device. It sees who you are. And then there's a voice that says like, hello, Cody. Like, he, he, you know, here's uh, we know that you like this, this and that. So go towards that. So now like I'm like living in a weird way. It's like the online world is transported to the real world. Because now you have like these facial work. I'm like living in my own bubble now in the real world and not just in my phone. Or, right. or to take maybe a, a clearer example, um, uh, augmented reality glasses, right? So augmented reality is a device that um, that superimposes digital objects onto the real world. Mm-hmm. So an example would be Pokemon Go. You know that game, right? You have right, a yeah. phone yeah. and it has like a Pikachu on the real world. Well, we, we could, I know Facebook is trying to, or is considering developing like augmented reality glasses where you might have glasses that enable you to do that, like transport stuff on that you would normally be looking at on your phone, right? Now it can just be directly superimposed onto your perception. Isn't that what Google Glass was? I think, yeah, Google Glass was like a version of that that didn't really catch on. It wasn't that great. It's like the Tony Stark glasses type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyways, is this just a a long-winded way of saying that this... You know, this phenomenon of all of us being in our own personal bubbles on the phone could be like transported to the real world with the advent of things like facial recognition and augmented reality. Right. We're like now we're like literally I'm seeing the world differently than someone else because my perception is colored with uh, digital information. And someone else has different digital information. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah. It sounds like Wally. That's very terrifying. Yes, yeah. that, <laughs> that sounds like Wally. Right? That's what that sounds like. Everybody lives in their own life. Oh dystopia. my god. This is that movie was genius though. That movie was. Didn't really we talk presentable. about this in discussion yesterday too? We did. You talk about we Wally. We literally talked about Wally yesterday. Yeah. That's like that, that's, yeah. It's a great prediction of what the future could be. You know, where everybody's just fat and obese, living in their they own like, pleasure, no and they don't really understand. Well, let me bring. The, let me let me get your reaction to this, Jacob. So we were talking about um, like just where people get their meaning in life, and what one concept that I brought to the table is what's called fully automated luxury communism, and the idea there is it's kind of like dovetails with Marx's communist uh, utopia. But, you know, you can imagine a world where automation completely eliminates human drudgery. So the machines are doing all the work for us, and now people don't need to work anymore, okay. right? And, I mean, people are already talking about this, right? Like AI and automation, the truckers are going to lose their jobs. What do we do? So there's this, you know, they're not, they're not just going to learn to code or whatever. Right. <laughs> so there's this economic issue that we need to solve. And I'm saying... Imagine that we solve that economic issue, right? Maybe via something like universal basic income. So we square that problem. There's still this kind of more fundamental existential issue about uh, concerning the fact that people derive a lot of their meaning in life from their work. Right. Right. So if we live in a world where you don't have to work, which is ostensibly a utopia, is that actually a world that we want? Because it seems that, you know, it's, people, again, derive their meaning in life from their work. And I feel like there are two ways this could go. Um, you know, one response that we talked about in class was, well, you know, um, people get their happiness and meaning from progress. You need to feel like you're progressing in life. And mm-hmm. that 
feeling of progression doesn't need necessarily need to be manifested in having a job, right? Like, so it could be like when all the human drudgery is done by machines, now you're just free to pursue whatever artistic endeavors that you want to do. You want to write poetry, go ahead and do that. So you can still feel like you're progressing. You want to focus on your physical health, you can do that. So that's one scenario where it could be a good scenario. Like now everyone's free to do whatever they want. Right. But the kind of quasi dystopian alternative scenario is the Wally scenario where will it be the case that everyone chooses to do productive things in a world where they don't have to work? Or will it be the case that they choose to go like the hedonistic route where they just are completely blissed out on drugs and they get fat right. and all of that? And that's kind of like a hedonistic dystopia, you know? Um, and I don't know. I don't know. What, like, what, do you have any intuitions on like on that? Um, and I just threw a shit ton that, at you. <laughs> no, that is that because that is like a realistic issue that we definitely may have to deal with. Maybe even if not in our lifetime, like our kids' lifetime. Yeah. Um, I think it's based that's based on variability. Like everybody's that's the whole everybody's different thing. Right. There are definitely a good amount of people that would just sit around and not do shit. But if there's too many people on this planet that like that that work you know that that passion to like do you know do something with themselves i think you get it like a split but the i don't know right That's then the would, thing. One, I don't would know. one side convince the other to, to kick it up or would the other you know or the other side would kick the you know make the other side <laughs> tone down like yo yo come do some drugs dude. yeah like, <laughs> yo, yo, chill, like, dude. <laughs> seriously like I, I don't know um right because is it everybody like they derive their meaning in life from their work or they just derive their meaning in life from what they do a lot. Work yeah. is because it's, it's work ends up being what you do the most of in your life. You know, you spend a good, the majority of your lifetime by the time yeah. we're, by the time we're 70, the majority of our life would have been spent in the workforce doing whatever we decided to do for work. Not, you know, whatever I liked in college. I mean, it seems like that now because we're college kids. We haven't had the life. Yeah. So yeah. that's, I don't know. I mean, if hedonism, going back to the hedonism thing, if that's the right, theory about how to drive happiness out of life, then maybe the Wally thing's not that bad, but that seems to be a counterexample to hedonism, the Wally thing, because like, you know, that doesn't seem like a, an attractive future. Right. Right? No, and it, but it's funny because in the movie it was attractive to those people until, to those they were, people until they were brought out of it. Then they realized, oh, maybe this isn't yeah. that great. Right. You know, and maybe that's what we're in now. Like, I'm sure... That's back, my worry, dude. That maybe back when the internet was made, people were already making predictions like this. You know, like, oh, we're just all going to end this. going to be no jobs. And, there's, you know, it's going to be socialist. And everybody's just going to get the same pay. And we're all going to sit around and do nothing. And it's been a while. Like, we're still working. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, there are huge turning points in history, like the invention of, you know, the wheel or, my bad, or, the fi or fire, you know, or the internet. Like, I don't know. I think there's just too many people that... There's so many people, period. That's that's the one thing I There's have so to say many. to that. There's just so many people. So what? It, how, how, so many, how people will be affected by whatever happens will be different everywhere. And cultures will matter, too. Like, American culture might go down the lazy rabbit hole, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, the people over in Italy may just kick up and, and Creating dope create everything. And, like, yeah. you know? So that's the other, I feel like Wally. There was a, I mean, that movie's like an hour and 30 minutes long, so I can't touch on everything that happened. But, but you know what I mean? Like, maybe some... People did try to fight that Wally thing, and then they just kind of died off, and eventually it was the last of the fat people, and they all went up to space. Uh, you know, there's just so many variables that movie didn't touch on. Yeah. Either. Great um, movie. Great movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a while. But yeah, the, just that concept of, uh, you know, like they didn't realize they were like that this wasn't a good lifestyle until they were brought out of it. That's kind of my worry with the maximum security, ma maximum security society concept I, that I was talking about. That we're yeah. we're slowly giving away our individual rights. Right for the sake of public safety or whatever, and 
you know, it's, it's so gradual that we get used to it and we think nothing of it. But, may, you know, maybe if someone was could be like transported from the past to the future, they'd be like, oh, my God, what the hell is this society is not free at all. Right. And we don't even real. It's, it's not even we don't even realize it. it but, was, what you, but what you I, said about um, ignorance, because what you said, they if they don't realize it's a bad thing until they're brought out of it. Yeah. So at the same time, somebody could bring up the argument once they're brought out of it. Why did you bring me out of this? Now I have to see the horrible truth when I was living a great fucking life. So it could be applied where ignorance is bliss and somebody might not want to be plugged out of the matrix right. because it is the matrix and they don't want to know the horrible truth because ignorance is bliss in a lot of cases. So where do you find the line to feel like you have the right moral compass to bring somebody out of something they don't want to come out of? Right. Do like, you think it's the right? right th- you might think it's the right thing. Who are you to say that? Right. Their way of life. You're borderline. Well, play, <laughs> you're borderline playing the character of of a higher power to dictate. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean. So. But uh, but there are clear cases. It seems you know this gets back to the whole cultural relativism, moral objectivism thing. There's there there seem to be clear cases where we can say, well, that's you know if there's a culture on the other side of the world that's just cutting off children's heads and sacrificing them to the sun god. Well, you know, there's a strong intuition that they're doing something wrong. That's the wrong way to live. And we're morally justified in saying that's the wrong way to live. Right. You know, of course, there's this, then you get there's this huge gray line where where is the line between, yeah, that's objectively morally wrong that culture's doing. And, yeah, they're doing things in a different way, but that's just because they have a different culture, mm. you know. Right. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. Keep going. No, but that's it. It's just a gray line. Well, because then you right, because then you run into the, oh, I need to fix their culture. And now we have, you know, American imperialism. The, I was just saying now the purging of the Native Americans <laughs> and, all the, and everybody's in South America and, you know, even slavery in Africa, like from Africa. Right. Who the hell are you to, to decide who's who's best at what? And it's just and even in history, like just because um, Europeans like technologically advanced quicker than some other cultures, they they get to decide what's right. Yeah. And what's the. Uh, you know, but you take it to the extreme degree, and it seems like there are certain that is right. if, that like, is the extreme. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but if there's like a genocide going on, and we know that it's going on, it seems like there is a moral imperative to step to intervene there. What's the uh, oh the Rwandan genocide that happened in the early '90s, where you have the there's the Tutsi and the Hutu, I think, and I forget who massacred. Those are two tribes. Yeah, like okay. two different. Um, not tribes, but uh, just ethnicities of people or, oh, or whatnot okay. uh, living in Rwanda. In, in in the early 1990s, and there's a huge genocide where I forget if it was I think it was the Hutu massacring the Tutsis. Forgive me if I'm getting this wrong. Um, but one side just completely massacred the other side. I think over like 700 within the span of months, over 700,000 people died. Wow. And the main tool of murder that was used was machetes. So you have a civilian population just fucking hacking half of the other population with machetes because they've been brainwashed to do so. And I think a lot of the world. And again, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I, I just took a class on this a couple of years ago. But um, my understanding is that at least some of the world knew what was going on, perhaps, and we didn't intervene. But it's like, if we could have stopped that, like it seems like we have a moral imperative to stop that. Right? So that's kind of like the clean case where we can be the world police or whatever. But you know, there's this huge ethically gray territory or whatnot. Well, all right, and there's another topic I'd like to touch on. I don't know, did we talk about overpopulation last time? Uh, briefly, I believe. I don't what is what is everybody's opinions on that? I don't know. Population. Yeah. The is other, that another area where you feel like if you heard a good argument, you would just lean whatever way? Yes. Like, yeah. It does scare me. I recently I was looking at a graph of how 
of how much the world population has increased over the past just like two centuries. And it's just like astonishing like exponential sh- growth. It's like straight line up, isn't it? It's something it's yeah. like it's got like a couple yeah. hundred years ago there was like two billion and now <clears> there's like we're like what are we getting close almost, to eight or something? Yeah, it's almost eight. So seven. it's just like an explosion of humans. And, uh, and I bet the I rates know. of like other an- types of species ex- extinction has increased. Yeah. Like significantly as that spike has happened, you know, as our technology and our people is we need more room, we need more resources. Right. I don't know. I think it's that you think plague 2020 just wipe some people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, no, no, but seriously, like if canceled you rec- your problem is, I've been canceled. Like, no, three, right, let's, like no, let's, play, let's play, let's play both sides of this because if you <laughs> say that you're the, de- you're the devil, you're the bad guy. Of course. Then, Devil's but how else do you deal with the issue? At this point, you can't, first of all, you can't just start telling Americans to stop having sex. They're not going to listen to you. Yeah, that's right? the thing. And, and what other, and what other way do you well, do China it? You can't did, just start massacring people either. China we, did that. China, China, And we were like, what the fuck's wrong with China them? implemented uh, a one-child policy. It was And we're, and we're over here policy. criticizing them. They're trying to fix, there are so many of them over there. They're running yeah. out of yeah. resources. I, like, that's, that's one of those moral issues. That's one of those huge moral issues is. that is going to become very prominent very soon. And people, it's... It's going to have to be drastic at this point because I feel like the, lo- the some long term like people just have less sex and less kids over a certain amount of time it, with global warming and all that. We're running out of time for that to work, and it doesn't seem like anybody's pushing for that to happen now. Right. So right. The, I think, and the plague, like the plague, is not going to be our our choice. Like we don't get to decide. Like a massacre, we decide if that happens or not. There probably yeah, will be some kind of no natural, one wants that. Like, no, <laughs> no, right, and nobody. Yeah. Wants to have is we're not advocating for a plague. To be no, but <laughs> yeah, like I, I personally think I'm not rooting for plague 2020. But I do think eventually it will be something like a plague because the planet's gonna fucking coronavirus going it, on. Dude, freaking, okay. it's the planet is gonna have to fight back. I think it's like one of those things where it's like, what's that? They make that um, analogy where it's like the planet's the host and we're the you mm. know we're the disease mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and the host yeah, yeah. and the host tries to kill off the disease, and either the host wins and the disease dies. Or the disease wins and the host dies. Yeah. And then the disease dies. <laughs> if the host dies, the disease dies also. You I know think, what I mean? I think it's tough because um, it's not just it's not just people, you know, having too much sex. It's also a combination of our medical advancements. And way, well right, way faster in the past, you know, 100 years, 50 years even. And it's hard for us to just say, let's stop, you know, let's slow down. Right. Because everybody just wants to keep growing, and there's nothing wrong with progress. It's just it's catching up too fast. Like I said with our evolutionary timeline, yeah. there was just a natural way of growth uh, balance, growth balance back to a normal population that we could contain. And now it's just got to the point where we're advancing too fast, too much for our evolutionary and biological timeline. So I don't know. It's right, a te- it's definitely a moral debate. but Great. It goes back to the whole freedom over public safety, too. A lot of public safety stuff is pre- preventing death, but the less death that happens, the more people that live, and then the more people there are, period. You know what I mean? And like you said, that line is getting close, like, farther and further. People, you know, there's new things every time. We're like, oh, we have to f- stop this from happening because wanting to stop death is natural. We all fear it, you know? Nobody wants to die. Right. So the more prevention of death you have, the more life there is. Yeah, well, I mean, there are certain transhumanists like Ray Kurzweil and Aubrey de Grey, who are trying to, who are trying to like solve the problem of aging, and who actually predict that within our lifetime we'll achieve what they call escape velocity, where it, where will technologies will be invented that will allow us to live longer, and then we'll live long enough for more technologies to be invented, which will allow us to live longer. And according to like Kurzweil, um, there'll be some humans that are going to. St- 
essentially be immortal. Like with the and you know he talks about all the he has all these predictions about um, the biotechnology that will be invented in the next couple of decades and all this stuff. And you know if you're a transhumanist, some people buy into this, some people don't. But if we actually you know that's ostensibly a good thing, right? We no one wants to die. Like imagine if we could actually defeat that problem of aging, but. You know, it just exacerbates the overpopulation problem that we're talking about because right. now people aren't dying off. But and it's like, like what you like you were saying, the one child policy. I mean, that's literally the government coming into your bedroom yeah, and telling right. you what you can do. I and mean, that just wants. seems insane. Right. Like right. I mean, that all that goes against like all of my libertarian impulses that I have. <laughs> you know. So I. I don't. That doesn't seem rational to me. So I and don't even know. if it I was, don't. not enough people would f- seem it to be rational either. You know what I mean? You could never get a, a following like large enough to support any of that stuff, it, right? Unless you have like so a communist party of China, That's right? Exactly. You know, Alan. You know who Alan Watts is? Yes. Um, he has this. I don't say it's either a poem or it's just part of a passage in his books where he talks about death, and he and he he attributes it to like a stepping point. As not as you stepping into another in another realm, because I mean, who knows if we do or not. But death is more of it's it's something that should be celebrated and appreciated because you're giving a spot your spot away to someone new. And death isn't thought about it. We don't think about death like that. We think about death as I'm dying. It's over for me. Me, you know, me, 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 me. My -hmm. death, my loss. I don't get to live anymore. But in a way, when you have kids, that's what you're doing. You're just giving them this. I don't know. I I read it or I watched it in a YouTube video, and I just it kind of changed my whole perspective on death. That when you die, yes, you you go away, but you're giving up a spot for somebody else. You know, and that's the natural way of life. You get your time, however long it ends up being. If you're lucky, it's long. If you're not lucky, it's not long. But you still are leaving a space to be filled for somebody new to experience what we call life. Mm. And I, people are just it's and that's and maybe that's just our society that have that that mindset of me 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 because some societies are not collectivist societies are about the others. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's it's just you. Can, it's inevitable. Like as much you can delay it as long as you want. It comes for you no matter what you do. You shouldn't, I don't know, if you fear, like you said, I think we talked about this last podcast, like fearing death is just so, it's, it's, it feels irrational, but it's so freeing mm. once you don't anymore, once you can live right. without the fear of death. Just the best antidote to fear that there is. Right. right. I, I don't know. I just. Also, the, the whole overpopulation thing, it was making me think like that, it really kind of puts pressure on uh Reincarnation, because there's kind of like in a, 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 a problem regarding the ge- regeneration of souls, right? Because I mean, it's like there's a we, there's more people now than have ever existed. So like, if there's only a certain amount of souls that are being regenerated according to the people who believe in reincarnation, well, there's more people now. So like, it can't like there can't be like a finite number of souls that are just being regenerated because now there are more people than you know what I'm saying. Well. My art, my counter to that is too, um, or at least this is the one I've heard to that because I have heard that argument before. Yeah, is that um, like if you believe every living thing has a soul, the more trees you kill, the more souls can become people. You know what I mean? Or the more animals that die and the less animals that are made, the more that can become people. You know what I mean? So maybe that's just I don't know how I feel about reincarnation. <laughs> I think it's a cool um, theory, and that I I could see it being a thing, mm-hmm. but. You're right. Like the more people there are, the finite soul, you know, the amount of souls could be running out. But if we're killing all these trees for resources, maybe those souls are freed from being trees and that are now people. That, that assumes kind of like a panpsychist metaphysical worldview where like everything <laughs> is conscious. Yeah. Including right. trees. Which right. Is, which would be, I mean, that's not necessarily too believable, but it, you well, know. 
It might be. I I'm mean, they don't have any way of expressing their conscience. I'm personally so. a panpsychist, but I, that's a kind of radical panpsychism where you think that, like, even trees are conscious. I don't really believe in that, but I do believe well, that— Well, do you have to be conscious to have a soul? You think, do you think your soul is what controls your consciousness? Maybe you don't. Right, okay, yeah. So I guess I was kind of, like, conflating consciousness with having a soul, but they, they, they could be two different things. Um well, I mean, I don't know. The concept of well, well, yeah, we don't know, and also the concept of a soul is just kind of so like vague to me as to what people mean by it. Like, mm. what do you? Is like this life effable essence, like a life force? To you, yeah, yeah, right. Because when you die, it's just that your heart stops pumping the blood, so your brain can, so then your brain can't continue the electrical currents that keep you moving. Yeah. So, is there really a life force in there that leaves? I don't know. But then it's like, well, what the fuck are ghosts? <laughs> you know, are those real or not? You know, yeah. are people lying every freaking time they see them? Like, there's so many. <laughs> we can go down that road later. But <laughs> it's yeah. just like, it is this like ever ending cycle of what the fuck is happening. Actually, I have a very interesting theory about death. I was just thinking about it and I actually tried researching it. And there was no, I couldn't find anything about this theory. So I'm a philosopher is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. This, this is novel territory we're breaking <laughs> into right now. First the, original thought of the podcast. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just gets a Nobel Prize for this. They just send it in the mail. They're like, we heard what you said on that podcast. And it was, on the famous podcast. <laughs> we all know who Cody Turner is. <laughs> it was fucking brilliant, Ouch. dude. <laughs> um, but basically, I, I was thinking the other day about, um, you know, afterlife. And I actually re really support Buddhism in the, in the thought of reincarnation. Actually, I feel like it's really intriguing. Um, Absolutely. Once you get more into it, but um, this theory that I thought of is like, so once you once you die, once you pass away, um, you immediately continue right where you left off, mm. but you don't know that you died. If that makes any sense. So, so? let me like, give you an yeah, example. Let me give an example. Off. All right. So let's say. Uh, let's give an extreme example, I guess. Let's say I'm in the mall. Somebody snipes me from across the mall, okay? Snipes you? Yeah, sure. Why not? No just give you, just give you an example. Okay. But uh, let's say that just happens, right? Just got right? JFK'd <laughs> in the mall? <laughs> you had some enemies. Right, 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 right. Let's just no, say, go let's just say that happens, right? And I'm in the mall and I'm shopping, right? Right then and there I drop dead and I'm, I die because uh -huh. I just got shot. I immediately get woken up again, right in the same spot, hmm. continuing to shop. But I'm not aware that I just got shot. Meaning, I just sorry. Meaning, I just continue where I left off without the acknowledgement that I'm dead. So that's what that's what the theory I came across is where the afterlife is right where you leave off and you just continue to live but the same which, way. Okay, but in a different plane. Right. People can't see you anymore. Right. But you don't notice that. You don't understand that it is a different plane, but everyone else is the same. So you just continue to live as if it's the same life. But you died and transferred over, and you just continue off where you left off. So let's say I drop dead right now in the middle of this podcast because of a heart attack. You already have. Right. I, that's the thing. But that's where you could take it a step further. We could already be there, but you don't know that. Follow? Yeah, but wouldn't you watch like your family mourn and shit? No, because so it's you're like a different dimension. You, is it like of, you're almost like transported to a different timeline or, or something? Or a different like that? reality. Or a different reality. The point is is that you wouldn't watch your parents mourn because you didn't die. You didn't know you didn't you die. You follow what I mean? You just continue as if you didn't die. There's a, isn't there like a, a a relatively like similar theory where like there's a bunch of timelines going on at the same time and when you die you just transfer over to the one where you didn't die? 
So you just never, you just live. Am I wrong? Maybe that is, is that, I, does that sound familiar? I I don't know uh, actually. Probably. Okay. I mean, I but that kind of, but I that kind of sounds like what you're saying too. It's like right. every timeline that could ever occur ever is always happening. <clears throat> and if you die yeah. in one, you don't actually die. You just get you just move over to the next one. Okay, that's that's. Yeah, there's literally a Rick and Morty episode on that. Is that what it is? Maybe that's what I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. of. But it's still kind of badass, and I think maybe that's what you're getting at, or it, it's similar to what you're saying. Yeah, in the episode, it might be similar. Yeah, in the episode, like Rick and Morty, like in their timeline, they just like. Some science experiment goes completely awry, and like everyone's transported into this like weird monster. So they're like, oh shit, we got to find another timeline. So they just find another timeline out of one of the infinite timelines in which they exist. Oh, I've yeah, seen we did that, see that episode. I fucking Wh- see that. Where they're and they t- live in that timeline. Now, yeah, and their instead. alternative versions in that timeline had just died. So they just like pick up right where they left off. Where they left off. Right. Okay. So that is the, all right. Now I remember the episode you're talking about. Yeah. I did not stem it. That from sounds there, like but, what you were saying. But that's very similar to what I'm saying is basically where you take off right from where you left off because you don't know when you die you don't know that you died right so when you transfer over and you continue living you don't have a pause in that reality you just it's just like a it's a quick like like in the movie click where he, where he presses pause and nobody else noticed that everybody paused. So then we press play again. They're all just like, it just keeps going. It's the same thing. You don't know that you died. You don't know that it, it took, you just died and reincarnated or transferred over. You just continue living as if nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. So that's the same concept. So I theorize that whether or not that is true, if it were to be true, you wouldn't know that you died. So you could have already died right now, but where you just continue to live on. So I could have died 20 minutes ago, but I wouldn't know because I'm just continuing to live on as if I didn't. The crazy part about all those theories is there's literally no way to disprove or prove any of them. Right. Any theory you got on it. The the universe was invented last Tuesday. That one's classic. Where everything just started. <laughs> everything theory. just everything just started last Tuesday and you just spawned in knowing all you know, having the past memories and all that shit and you just keep going. You don't have any you can't go back there and prove it. <laughs> you know? That's true. It's just that's like <sighs> It's like a solipsism of the present moment. Like, for all you know, you could have been zapped into existence right now with all these memories already in your head where you think you've lived this life. And that's what I find so insane because that's so, ironically, that's so feasible to think about because, and I keep going back to dreams because the fact that you can consciously achieve that in your dream makes me think it's feasible to happen in a conscious world. So what I'm saying is, like, like I was talking about earlier in the podcast, when you spawn into a dream, you have prior knowledge of the world. But you don't know why you know that. And I'll wake up from a dream like, like I'll, I'll be in a dream knowing that I have a wife and kids and two cars, but I'll never see the wife and kids and two cars in the dream. But mm. I'll know in the dream that that exists in that world. But I might be in a field running on my own for no reason. But I'll, in the dream, I'm aware that, that that exists in that world. So what you're saying is so feasible because you experience that to a degree in your dream world. So who's to say we don't are, we aren't spawned into this world with that prior knowledge? We don't know why we know that knowledge. We just know that we know it. We experienced it, quote unquote. But you don't know if you actually experienced because they're memories. Yeah. Or you could you could you're telling yourself you did experience it because they're memories. You know what I mean? So, but you, it's very feasible that you could have been spawned with this knowledge. It kind of reminds, it's similar to Plato's theory of knowledge, where Plato, um, go back to the cave thing, right? Plato has this idea that um, the physical world isn't the highest reality, but the physical world is just a shadow of the true reality, which he calls the world of the forms. And the world of the forms is this kind of like platonic heaven of, uh, 
of, of, of abstract forms, right? So like there's like the form of, of, uh, of man, for example, and the individual men in this world are just exemplifying that form. But that, so like the physical world, according to Plato, is just constantly fleeting, changing, and it's, just, it's a shadow of this permanent world of the forms. And he thinks that prior to us being kind of capulted into this world, we all existed in the world of the forms. And what we call knowing, like accumulating knowledge, is really just a, a form of remembering, like we're just because rem- we had all this knowledge in our in, in this past life where we're where our souls inhabited the world of the forms, and and our existence in this life is just a matter of recalling the knowledge that we already had. So like we think we're learning it for the first time, but we're actually not. Mm. So knowing is a form of remembering, according to Plato. Mm. They were so ahead of their so, time. That is pretty Plato interesting. I like that. It's similar to what you said, the dream yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I kind of think it's bullshit. But. Okay. <laughs> they were so ahead of their time, though. They were. In a lot of ways. Then, like, yeah, they yeah. were. But in a lot of ways, they, like, weren't. Just they like, were wrong. Like, like yeah. with, like, just misogynist that's and true. all that. And <laughs> lack of science, you know, and yeah. all that crap. I don't know. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, about, like, the mind. And this is sort of, like, limitations of the mind. Like, if you can think it, why can't it be real? Like, I don't get, like, the force. Or if you can imagine that existing, like, why can't it happen? Like, why are you allowed to th- to think about it existing? Why are you allowed to? How does your how is your brain? Your brain has the capacity to imagine it, but not the capacity to create it in in reality. I don't know. Like, it's almost like maybe we don't have our our full potential unlocked. And if we did, we could just whatever we think we can make. And in right. a way, people do it anyway with inventions. They they imagine it, and you know, Steve Jobs. Imagined whatever, and then he made a freaking iPhone. Right, because depending like, depending on what higher level comp- comprehension you're trying to discuss, it almost gives you a headache to talk about because it's almost bordering like what you're potentially capable of comprehending. You know, so that 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 goes back to your point. But the things that are created can be can be argued that everything you think of is based off something already experienced or already real. So therefore, nothing is technically original because everything you already, anything you think of is new, you're stemming it off something that's already real. So something that that you try to comprehend that isn't is why it's difficult to comprehend and why it gives you a headache because it's almost bordering what is real because it's not. So you can't stem it off something you already know. That's why the idea of nothing is impossible to really grasp because you don't know what nothing is. There's nothing to stem that off of. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, and anything that you use to try to understand nothing is itself something. Exactly. And but, but what you said, Jay, it, may, it reminds me of this principle in philosophy. There are some people who think that, you know, you're saying like if you can imagine it, then you can bring it to an existence. There are some philosophers who think that conceivability entails metaphysical possibility. So if you can conceive of it, it's possible. And it's a very controversial philosophical assumption, but you'll have some philosophers using that for certain philosophical ends. And on one hand, it, you know, it has some intuitive plausibility to it. Like we use conceivability as a guide to possibility in normal life, right? Like t- take unicorns. Like a unicorn doesn't actually exist. It's not an actual being. But I think most people would agree that it's possible. Like if evolution had proceeded differently, there could be a horse, a with, horse a horn. with horn, right? right? So it's conceivable. It's possible. And on the other hand, we all recognize that a squared circle is impossible because it's inconceivable. You can't conceive of a squared circle. It doesn't make right. sense. So it's impossible, right? So um, it's like one area where that's, that link between conceivability and possibility is deployed is in the philosophy of mind and consciousness. Like you have some people who argue against physicalism, the idea that consciousness can be reduced to the brain on the basis of 
what's called the philosophical zombie thought experiment. So the idea is that like, look, we can conceive of a being that's physically identical to me, but that lacks experience. Like just the lights aren't on, right? So it's kind of a zombie, right? There's no conscious experience, no subjective point of view, but a physical duplicate of me. So if that's conceivable and conceivability entails possibility, then that's possible. And if that's possible, then physicalism would be false, or that's the idea. Because physicalism says that in every single possible world where you have a physical duplicate of me, consciousness comes along for the ride. But now we're saying that there's a possible world where that's not the case. So there isn't this necessary link between like the brain and consciousness. Right. So I, I know I'm like getting into like weird metaphysical territory here, but it's just uh, you made me think of it. Well, then that would support that the soul is connected to consciousness in a way. Going back to that other point, right? Would that if the if the consciousness isn't connected to the mind and you could have another mind existing somewhere else, then consciousness would be connected to the soul. Or, not, or it doesn't have to be because maybe it's its own entity. Period. Yeah. Yeah, oh, no. perhaps. I, again, I just don't know what the soul means. Right. Again. I don't know what it means. Like, and I don't also, know what it means. consciousness is hard to define. Also, consciousness is hard to define. That's true. Very difficult to 